Greetings, and welcome to episode seven of the Heavy Metal Bebop podcast, a series of conversations about jazz and metal. I'm your host, Hank Steamer. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please consider subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review there, spreading the word via social media, or even just telling a friend. Any of these really helps to get the word out. And as always, in addition to Apple Podcasts, the show is also available at heavymetalbebop.podbean.com. That's heavymetalbebop.podbean.com or via the Podbean app. So our guest this time around is guitarist Wendy Eisenberg. Wendy is a jazz guitarist by training who can often be heard playing just about anything but conventional jazz guitar. That includes free improv, art pop, noise, and avant-garde punk with radically inventive bands like the now-defunct Birthing Hips and the currently active Editrix. In 2018, during an episode of Jeremiah Zimmerman's excellent 5049 podcast, Wendy, who uses gender-neutral pronouns, made a passing mention of their love for the Australian death metal band Portal. And at that point, I knew I wanted to speak to them for Heavy Metal Bebop. We met up a few months ago and delved into Wendy's vast musical universe and their interest in everything from Sonny Chirac to Titan Blood. All right, let's get into it. You'll hear a little bit of Instant by Editrix, and after that, my conversation with Wendy Eisenberg. So, I mean, like you've, I, I th- well, I don't know if you heard the other like podcasty versions of it, but, but, you know, from other installments of this thing, like it's very sort of open-ended and just sort of whatever. So that it's not like a questionnaire type thing. I would be afraid. Yeah. If it was just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like not, I'm not very exact with the micro genres. Right. Yeah. No, I, 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 I as I'm finding talking to different people, I'm, I'm not either. Um, I don't think anyone is. Yeah. I mean, except for, yeah, like people on message board and, and things like that. Man, yeah, a bunch of Virgos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I guess just, just sort of as like a somewhat random starting point, I thought it would be f- like interesting or fun to talk about the uh, just because you said you saw the Morbid Angel Blood Incantation show. I actually, didn't saw it. I saw that they were coming. You saw through. that they were coming. Okay. Yeah. But um, we can talk about it because there was like two reasons that I didn't go. Like first of which, I'm really afraid of package tours as like a concept. I think that they're like, I think it comes from actually just like being in DIY and playing and being like, oh, like there's so many. It's going to be like everything I listen to and then need a break to think about and then everything I listen to and need a break to think about. And also it was in Worcester and like I thought it was in Greenfield. I like thought it was 20 minutes away from my house rather than an hour. So I didn't go. But how was it? Uh, I I thought it was great. I mean, it was it was definitely like one of those shows that. I mean, you know, to have three bands out of four that you're really into seeing. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, 
crazy about the one um, Necrot, although they were cool. But I, I like, yeah, I mean, Morbid Angel and Cannibal Corpse have been big, big favorites for me for a long time. And yeah. I think Blood Incantation is an incredible band. Um, have you seen them? No. Honestly, um, <laughs> this is so funny. I haven't seen a lot. I've mostly seen metal that's like Friends. Oh, cool. And the reason for that is like, I got kind of weirded out at a show once, so I kind of took a break. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've listened to all of those bands, except for Necrot, like, a lot. So it took a lot for me to not want to go. And then a few things made me not want to go. But, yeah, not to just sort of be like... air out of the room oh no totally i mean <laughs> yeah. but, but so so in general like like metal show going like it's not a sort of a regular habit like. no it's when i get to do it it's the best thing in the whole history of the world because i feel like it it feels amazing but there sometimes like i'm surrounded by enough like sweaty men in the rest of my musical career that like when I want to be there it needs to either be with like friends that are near me and I know who's playing or it needs to be like maybe I'm playing it which is vain or it needs to be uh like I don't know anybody and I'm in like Troy New York for a night and I'm just like doing it there and yeah I kind of have like a weird thing about it but the immediacy is like totally an art form so maybe it also is a kind of ritualization that i'm giving to it too where like i don't want it to be like i'm going to metal shows every single night and figuring it out like sometimes that animalism i need i need to like really ritualize well i guess like because i really know very little about um about it like like can you can you sort of just like walk me through like metal in your life where it started and you know because because you know in our emails like you threw out you know so many bands like fairly obscure ones and i guess i'm just curious like what the path was um the path was well it's so funny because like i've always gravitated towards like really like right at the jugular kind of things and so I've kind of dedicated myself to trying to find them in whatever genre I could but for me (laughs) I guess like when I'm trying to think about like a through line of metal in my life I just sort of think about how all of my choices to be better at guitar were informed by like things that I didn't think were possible so like the first time that I heard like I don't know like Red Garland or John Coltrane, I was like, those things don't really seem like they would make a lot of sense with the guitar, so I want to try to do it. But metal and listening to it in, like, sixth grade, like, Cannibal Corp stuff was, like, really important because I was like, this is really different, plus nobody I know likes it, plus the people who do like it are the ones who are actually good at music or, like, what sixth grade me thinks of as good at music. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came more from, like, a prog perspective, but there is also there's always, like, the I hate God thing and, like kind of how that sounded and then as I got more into free jazz I got more into like raw sounding things and I got really into Voivod and then that also which doesn't really sound that raw and then it led me somehow into like Gorguts and like Luke LeMay's playing and then because all of it was just like how extreme can you go in terms of like recording techniques that make sense or like how far does a riff have to go into like for it to cease being a riff and start being a sound, which like led me to my favorite band of all time, which is Portal. And then I kind of like hung out there for a long time. And so all of it was just like, I think pretty perfectly mirroring the ways I was thinking about musical form. Um, but I don't really know if there was like a through line in terms of like, and then I was in ninth grade and I was like, everything sucks <laughs> and whatever. Like it's never so, it's never so linear for me with that. Right, right, right. Especially cause I approach it at a pretty huge distance because of like, my personality, I think. 
Well, I mean, can you can you elaborate on that or like what? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, actually, you know, this is like a really pinpointable thing where I think when I was about like 20 and I had this hand injury at Eastman, I didn't, I couldn't play. So I had to like really conceive of the guitar before making any sound on the instrument. And that's like, that was really formative for me because it gave me this window into the idea that like a certain amount of precision in music making is like totally classically kinky where like you're kind of like subjecting your will to like an idea of something that is like kind of holding you hostage which is like all over metal lyrics and like all over punk lyrics too though punk is like more almost a subversion of that when you can understand what they're saying and if they're not making like a joke or something and with metal I would hear people like actually doing that the way that I would see people at conservatories just like doing shit and like getting it right and I thought that like metal was a way to could be a way to get it right but by getting it so right that it doesn't seem human and it's like kind of amazing and like oh um I'm gonna be really oh yeah yeah no sure yeah that's cool. absolutely fine yeah. yeah I always found myself very meta with this setup I can't imagine that you wouldn't but the night of the morbid angel show um I was walking around Greenfield thinking like man it would be really sick if I could stop by which is so dumb and because that's not what happens at those shows and I knew it but we walked by this like performance space called Hawks and Reed and there was a metal band playing which has like never happened in Greenfield like if it's happening it's like at a house show or it's like at this place the root cellar and even then it's like usually more freaky noisy stuff strictly but there was like a metal band and it felt like this weird thing where the part of me that really wanted to believe that I guess out of all of them, it sounded most like blood incantation, but like not nearly as good because that's they're so good. But I wanted to believe that like some level of aura from Worcester had like transmuted itself there, and then these people were getting it right and getting the aesthetics of it totally right, but to a much like tiny audience. And I think it was like a veteran musicians showcase. Like it was completely not about metal. It was just like these metalheads doing a really good job. And I don't know why, but I think that both of those echo the personality relationship I have to it, which is that you're trying hard and you're doing something nobody really cares about in one way. And then you're trying hard and you're doing somebody, something somebody really cares about and has never heard before. So they don't know to care about it. And that's like the portal, like Titan blood and like heavy, heavy, scary thing to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a lot there, but yeah, no, I mean like, yeah, we'll, we can sort of go, go back to all this stuff. I guess, I guess like you, you mentioned though, something about, you know, even at that early age sort of, you know, discovering stuff like Cannibal Corpse or things like that. I mean, if, if the, if, if the people around you weren't into it, like where was it, where was it coming from? Well, there is a person, um, I was in this like rock band that was sort of proggy when I was in sixth grade. Cause I had just started playing the guitar and it came pretty easily cause I'd played the piano for a long time before. And all of the like fluidity that had happened made it easy for me to be in this band. But the bass player was like a, he's like this crazy dude. He like had a Chapman stick and like was like a major King Crimson person. And like at the further edges of his King Crimson thing was like an interest in like Bungle. And then like that was like also leading to an interest in like some metal stuff. And then like, I just sort of ran with it and like was Googling shit all the time and was like, 
okay, well, people seem to really like the Melvins. What's that? And then, like, people seem to really like this or that. And then it turned into, like, a classic message boardy like, thing where, like, oh, this is a metal band that somebody that I don't know on the internet, and since I don't know him, I feel like I can trust him because I'm young and probably everyone else is right because I'm young, um, what they think is right and good. So I checked out, like, I Hate God and Cannibal Corpse and stuff, which is, like, kind of awesome now that I think of it because it's definitely access but it makes me less clannish than other metalheads that I know so 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 like did you have you mentioned like sort of the prog thing and like before that was there much of a foundation of like you know just sort of more normal rock music or like or like was that all just sort of it's always in tandem I mean yeah like like I really liked standards growing up because my mom liked musical theater and I was really into like straight ahead jazz. I still am. I think I will be forever. Um, kind of young because concomitant to the like guitar thing is like wanting to be good at stuff thing. And when you're a kid, like jazz band is a really obvious way to like want to be good at something because it's like very accessible, but just different enough. And also you can do it. There's like enough weird programs for it, especially in DC where I grew up. So I don't really know. But with the rock thing, like, I was really into pavement and, like, the prog thing. I guess, like, normal rock was around me and I liked it. And I still have these micro-renaissances where I, like, get to like it again, even if it's really bad. But the foundation has always seemed so broad and also so specific in what's there. Like, I really like the Oasis record, What's the Story, Morning Glory, for no reason. But, like, I like that at the same time as I like Slanted and Enchanted at the same time as I liked Fiona Apple, at the same time as I liked television, at the same time as I liked Cannibal Corpse. And they all, I think if you like wanted to be super complete about it, you could figure out the similarities or lack thereof that would yield something. But it was all just really interesting to me as like things that were possible, especially because everything else was either very boring or nobody wanted to engage with something boring to make it interesting when you're in middle school and everybody's just sad instead. <laughs> So, so it was like, but it was all filtered through like already playing and thinking, like hearing this stuff as, as something you might want to do on guitar. Like it was already, that was already like. Well, you know, it's difficult to tell if I'm like narrativizing it that way now, because so much of how I felt about shit as a kid is totally like inaccessible to me now because I'm alive and time isn't a flat circle all the time, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I think that like, for whatever reason, it's hard for me to separate my love of the instrument and its capabilities and, like, my self-appointed responsibility to it from my interest in, like, interesting things or, like, what piques it. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I just had, like, this really macho thing of wanting to win. <laughs> so, and metal's, like, really funny because it's, like, probably the most explicit music that isn't hip-hop about that, you know? So, so like, okay, so you said you were into standards and like you, you were also sort of playing this prog band, but like, were you, were you learning and you were in the jazz band, so you're sort of learning how to play jazz. Mm -hmm. Like what was, 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 was that the first kind of music that you were really going deep into on the guitar? It was, it was definitely jazz. Yeah, I think it was. Cause the first couple of years I was playing a lot of rock music and then jazz was amazing. And I had like this little record player and I was listening to like Wes all the time and like just really swinging stuff and like monk and just this this thing and it had a color to it that like a lot of rock music just didn't want to have and also like 
a lot of the rock music that was out when I was that age was like some serious like meet me in the bathroom music where it was like really really great but it valorized something that was really funny to want to try for if you're like a nebbishy little like Jew out in Maryland trying to figure out what's up it's not my life and jazz is so much not my life that it felt more tangible to me and it also the way that it's taught is so much more about skill and like time than it is about like who you are the way that rock music kind of always has a who you are element to it for me Mm. yeah but yeah I love jazz that's like where that's where it all comes from for me and like metal was a curiosity until it became really important which was closer to my like late teens Mm. yeah and and so like like at that time you know did, did you have like a private teacher were you doing like sort of like in the standard path of like just learning a bunch of standards and just sort of like moving through jazz education or something like that or yeah I mean I had a teacher I had like one teacher who's a bass player who taught me a lot of theory and stuff but I had to translate his basic teachery thing into guitar land which um is cool because now I'm really good at reading bass clef to this day but like it's less cool because then I had a lot of technical problems, which then my guitar teacher in high school who like picked me up out of that helps with, but it was always jazz lessons. And I would just like write songs and do like that songwriting thing that you sort of heard a part of, um, based off of what I had learned and ways to make it more accessible to me. And yeah, so it came out of there. Like I never took like lessons that taught me anything about how to like do a pinch harmonic or like do palm muting shit. Like all of that came from like whatever you could call a homegrown sensibility if you have gone through such like conservatory like shit Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that was always outside of that for me and like I only really learned how to like do pinch harmonics really well like a few years ago and it's like because of shit like that like where jazz was the priority so yeah (laughs) and so like from that from that early rock band like like was there like like you know performing jazz like in high school and stuff like that like that you like you were already on that yeah I was playing a lot in DC and because I grew up so close there was always club things on U Street and I was playing like Blues Alley in Georgetown and like playing in youth jazz bands there and like playing little like club things and playing at restaurants and stuff like you know what you do and yeah I was always performing jazz I think since I was about 15. Did, did at that time like like if you I mean w- would you have said like you know what what I want to be is just is just a, a straight ahead jazz guitar player like that was like the the path like was that I think I knew I think in a like granular way I knew that that wasn't the thing for me but I also knew that I was going to be a musician because other opportunities would arise and I would kind of just not work as hard at them and like every time I wouldn't. And I kind of just sort of, it didn't seem like anything I had to question, but whether or not it would be like a straight ahead jazz thing, like that's what I said that I wanted to do. And I think it was what I wanted to do in a way because it seemed like, it seemed clear to me because that's what the narrative about like being a musician is. Like you are a musician within a genre and you excel at it or you say you excel at it and then you do that and then you die. And I was like, that seems like a, a path that I understand. And every other thing that I'm interested in could be integrated if it needs to into that path or not, which is something I'm still always thinking about is like, how much do I want one thing to influence each another? But at the time it was like the time when like Meldow was playing Radiohead covers and shit. 
and like that was that was like all around me and I thought it was good and I thought it was normal and those opinions have both changed but it's um it's been really interesting to try to to try to figure out why I thought that that was the right thing when the fusions that I saw happening didn't really they made sense to me because I because people were trying to make them make sense to me you know I mean, you yeah. mean like specifically like like the like the, the, the meltdown thing? Or the yeah, or like the whoever does a cover of like a thing, like the translation of one media to another. I think being a saying that I was a jazz guitar player would have given me like I'm trying to to like go back into like teen me thoughts about jazz guitar, which is like like call my shrink, you know what I mean? But they, yeah, I think. I think it just seemed like it was a way that I, like, if I were to say that I was a straight ahead jazz guitar player, I could, like, more, co I could actually, like, integrate the other things that I was interested in, rather than just saying I was a guitar player, which had, like, slightly less cachet, which, like, you know, is a feeling that I have an allergy to now, but at the time I was, like, Lisa Simpson functionally and, like, needed to be that way, but, yeah, complicated. A very inarticulate answer for you. Oh, no, not no, not <laughs> at all. I mean, I mean, but but like, I mean, and this this is okay. So this is probably like a huge jump, sort of like aesthetically and just like in your development. But like, okay, so I you know I've been listening to you know, Birthing Hips, like the the I guess it's the last record that you made. The yeah, the Urge to Merge, yeah, mm -hmm. right. And so okay, so like you're, you're talking about you know being on a path of like playing you know like you said in a genre, and then and then you know, this is however many years later and mm -hmm. that band is so, you know, basically impossible to categorize and basically would need like, you would need to have these things coming from like eight different directions to get to that. Yeah. I'm really so, proud of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's really cool. And like, you know, I guess I'm wondering like, you know, and again, this might be some enormous span of time, but like, how does it get from, you know, relatively straightforward jazz path to like this guitar style that's, I don't know. I mean, jazz would have to be in there, but like it's, it has all this punk stuff happening and like how, how did it get so, I guess for lack of a better word, weird. Like, <laughs> Flattering. Um, yeah, well, it's so funny to have to like give your life, like your music essential narrative, but it always deserves it. And I think, I think it got weird because of that time I told you about when I couldn't play. And I got, that was like my first major fiction renaissance also. This is like the word of the day or year. But I got into reading like heavy man books like Ulysses and shit and like just not playing and listening a lot and listening to like weird stuff but not doing the like I'm listening to weird stuff and by that I mean world music stuff. I mean what's world weird but also like right there. And at the same time, the only thing that I would be able to play and it wouldn't hurt me is improvising noise music with my friend Brian. So we would do these like noise things where he would process what I was doing and I was also doing noise like via foot pedal and like just like using the guitar more as like an electronics divining rod than like a guitar guitar. And I didn't really have a framework for that because I hadn't really spent time with like tabletop guitar players. Like I hadn't even heard like Frith or like anything that he had done. And when I got that, it was like, oh wait, not only is Frith doing tabletop shit, like guitar solo stuff, but he's also playing like 
this other kind of music in this project and then this other thing. And I was like, wait, multiplicity is actually possible in anything that isn't like hardcore, like I'm playing jazz, you know, because jazz is genreified. Though I suppose that if I had a more sophisticated view of um, the aesthetics of different genres of music at the time, I would have known that it was all a little bit pastiche. What I became driven to do in these moments of wide listening was kind of like get good at all of them because it, like I had all these weird thoughts like if I can't play this like I have to figure out what to actually prioritize and I'm really bad at making choices so I prioritize a little of everything and so the noise thing gave me the space to do that because it was an open book it was just me and Brian dialoguing and it was easy and I trusted him in a way that I didn't trust a lot of my jazz peers because so much of that was about like can you hang or like this toxic jazz culture that was weird but I got weird in the birthing hipsy way because of that and because because also like guitar is technically not that hard for me like guitar as an instrument is just really it's it's really natural and I have no idea why so I always have to be finding a new challenge lest I get boring or like start to like loathe what I do or like hate the language that I've created that I then think is good or whatever. So learning how to do that stuff, listening to music I hadn't listened to before, getting into like Melt Banana, listening to television again for the first time in a decade and realizing that it just sounds like the Grateful Dead, like all of these like little time travels of, of things became more of like a personal responsibility towards the instrument than just like following a path where the aesthetics are clearly delineated and you're either good at them or you're not, which is like what jazz has kind of unfortunately become in the academy that I experienced. So four paragraphs. And that was like, <laughs> um, but, but, but in terms of this noise improv thing you're talking about, like that was, was that still high school or that was, that was college. Oh, that, okay. And that was, was it, this was Eastman? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. so within like Eastman, you did find people who were like, you yeah. Know, oriented away from the kind of super mm-hmm. rigorous jazz thing. Yeah, they were mostly in the town of Rochester and which is a really important place for me because of this. Like there is a really strong experimental culture there, but the noise scene there is one of the most formative things for me because it was the first time I really saw people go to church like that. Like freaky smelly white person church, I think, where you would just like go and people would just like make this thing that seemed like it seemed like what metal people talk about in their songs when they're talking about like some alchemist or like whatever the fuck like people were like doing that with like crazy hair and like doing these installations and they always had like different things and in jazz it was like okay did you practice this thing or like why are you using this phrase ending and it's like these micromanaging things when there's more of a wabi-sabi thing that I responded instantly to when I understood that noise was a possibility. <laughs> Plus it captured some of the late culture and stuff that I was drawn to, but that I had no guide for at the end of high school where I would just be like, well, I like Olatunji. What do I do now? And then it would be like, well, I hear about this guy, Albert Eiler. And then I'd be like, I like this. What do I do now? Well, I hear about Ornette Coleman. And it's like, but they, you're never going to find about like, I don't know, like Japanese noise if you're like by yourself and you're not hanging out with record nerds all the time and you're like a girl, like they're just like things like little barriers of entry that, that kind of eroded when I hung out with noisers in Rochester. Mm-hmm. 
And the, the, yeah, that must have been kind of interesting to have this, like, you know, being in jazz school and having that happening at the same time. Like, yeah. Like, did you feel like you had to kind of, like, fragment your... your Subjectivity? Or something, yeah, or just, like, <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I mean, because clearly you would have had to practice stuff for school that was, like, where you sort of had to, like, keep that stuff out, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I had an experience with a with somebody who came in to do like a guest masterclass thing. And I had brought in some Andrew Hill to work on in Harold Denko's ensemble at Eastman. And I was really excited because Andrew Hill is so important to me. And um, I took a solo on it in a way that I thought reflected what I heard in Andrew Hill's approach. And like this lecture guy was just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not hip enough. Like after I took this like out kind of solo that was like about the melody. And it was just like this weird, like really emotional thing to hear somebody be like, like, oh, this is like wrong. But then, you know, at the same time, if you dig even into like most accessible musicians catalogs, like there's a Wayne Shorter record where like Sonny Sherrick is there. And that was huge for me because I was like, who's this guy? He's like playing like how I play when I'm with Brian, but he's like doing it in this like context and like anybody at Eastman at the time would have told me that, that that was a bad record and you should put on something else when it's like no that record is fucking amazing and the Su- supernova is that the yeah. one yeah, yeah yeah it's crazy and you hear how like polite it's McLaughlin who's the other one on there I, I think. think so yeah well McLaughlin sounds really polite like can I play this little comping thing and Sharik's just like I play the guitar it sounds like a guitar look look and it just feels like oh you're allowed to take up that kind of space. And it was like huge for me. But yeah, I couldn't integrate those things when I was in school. And I did a little bit in my recital, though it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sounds on there that are, I was really good at playing straight ahead, like Courtney jazz at that point in my life, which man, I wish I could go back to, I should do more of, but it was really weird to do both things. And I was also like starting to be in some pop bands in the area and like figuring out how to like play pop and rock guitar in a way that was convincing and not just like I'm a jazz guitar player I know better I'm playing the rock music now which is like the worst feeling music in the world like jazz are holier than now at you know you know it's gross anyway so so yeah like I'm sort of intrigued by the Chirac thing like about like did you feel like he was that was some sort of breakthrough in terms of like I play jazz guitar but this is another this is a maybe the barrier between that and this whole noise thing, did you feel like he was some kind of yeah, <laughs> entryway? Or, or Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, huge for me. I'd heard him on that, and I had like heard of him, um, but when I listened to, like, the first thing I heard of his was Ask the Ages and then um, Space Ghost stuff, because that fucking blows my mind. Yeah, when I learned about him and actually dug in, I was like, wow. First of all, this, like, joyful kind of, like, almost rock R&B aesthetic that's going on in his like partier like sometimes 90s things were so profound like you can have fun and play improvised music and it doesn't have to be just like like blowing on a leaf or whatever which is like a lot of what is happening in improvised noise or was when I was doing it in Rochester not there it was weird I almost want to say that none of that's true but it's true okay compulsions we're good but um yeah well, Sharik's a virtuoso, and he's also really true to himself. And you can hear that from, like, how he's doing shit with Shorter. And also on all of his records, they're different. And he's also one of the first... 
if not like the only free improvising guitar player I've heard on a record perform like actual marital intimacy and like to to feel like Linda's thing so included and like such like a such like contrapuntal idea to like his tremolo like her breath is so amazing Mm. and you can tell that like even when he's partying or whatever it's like there's still that intimacy and like partnership and joy in his thing it was like the deepest thing for me to know about it was like him and Derek Bailey were like the real liberators for me Mm. yeah and also Beefheart guitar players too those were like the things that I think took me out because you had to be good at something like you had to have like a serious ear to be able to pull that stuff off but you also had to be so rooted in a security with yourself and with your vision and approach to make that stuff legible to anybody else otherwise it's just like you know yeah no exactly like 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 in terms of those other uh like like the the bailey and the beef hard stuff was that was that already in the mix from before did you also discover that around the same time Um, Bailey I learned about in early high school and really fell in love with, but I felt like I didn't know why and I didn't spend a lot of time knowing why I was in love with it. And instead I was busy trying to like be good at Wes, which so funny to think about because nope. But Beefheart was always in the mix because it was interesting rock and roll music. And like as much as I focused way more on jazz, like I was constantly trying to find interesting rock and roll music to listen to and the guitar playing in there and the writing in there is just like the most, it's like the most influential thing on like writing rock music for me. And I think it's because of hearing like Trout Mask when I was in like eighth grade or something and actually trying to put in the work to see what was going on and not just be shocked by the like aesthetic and like, you know, Don, you know, doing his thing. What's behind it is so interesting. But yeah, so the, those were earlier. Um, Sonny was like, like a, really huge turning point for me mm-hmm. in, in terms of that, like like this like interesting rock music thing like and, and we, we sort of like you maybe sped by it but like just so I'm clear like did you have like the was there like the the period of like learning Zeppelin songs and things like so, so that was already sort of just done you you had like you had you had yeah had that foundation that was like how I learned guitar I think yeah like the first couple things that I learned were like chords from my mom and like how to play pretty much everything Jimmy Page played is like Page and Hendrix were like the beginners for me and like which is insane because I can't do anything that Hendrix does but in terms of I mean he sounds like Sharrick sometimes like there's he sets a really major precedent for what I like but I learned a lot of Jimmy Page which is why in conversations with people even now I'm like weirdly defensive of him and like they're like yeah he's sloppy or like like Led Zeppelin's not that good and I'm like like maybe so, but I can't hear beyond the fact that it's totally my folk music and like, mm-hmm. babe, I'm going to leave you is still how I finger pick and like where I learned it from. And like his bluesy reference thing is just as much pastiche as John Zorn. And like, that's influential to me too, because you know, it's not him playing the, you know, it's him playing the blues. It's not the blues. And I think that that's like probably what I took from his approach more than the technique, which I play much more like a jazz player than he does. Mm-hmm. Though I guess he does too whatever i don't know there's lots of things there too so like okay so so you went you know to eastman sort of like for jazz sort of like discovering some of this stuff but but then like like so it's nec for grad school right yes so so and 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 was and was 
it seems like that's clearly the place where you were kind of able to just like maybe sort of start putting all the stuff together in a way like that's sort of where it happens like, yeah. yeah the place where I felt like I could have put it together first <coughs> sorry in um Rochester besides noise was I had a few teachers who were into experimental music and we would talk about it after class and I got really into like critical theory and started to view improvisation as a way for me to understand like a practical method of theory where I could like study some idea of difference and and repetition and like transference and that kind of time travel-y psychoanalytic thinking and make it into like a performative practice but and I went to NEC with the idea of trying to figure out how to do that. And I basically ended up playing in a lot of rock bands and like a lot of punk bands and um, trying to put it together, but also realizing that it, like contrary to like jazz media of the early 2000s, you don't have to put all your influences together. Like things can just exist as they are and you don't have to force the fact that you're into like Elliot Smith on the world. You can just like, that's me subtweeting. <laughs> So, yeah, NEC is sort of where I learned to let things actually be themselves more than I think that sometimes they wanted me to. But, yeah, I love subtweeting that shit. It is, like, the funniest music to me. You mean just sort of, like, jazz covers of pop, like that like that whole kind of, like, thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I know that, like, the first thing we talked about was me liking standards, which is, like, in many a reductive thinker's eye, the way that people in the past would deal with pop music. Deal with. But, like... Yeah, it's totally preposterous. Like, why would you? There's so much going on in improvisation. I don't know why you'd have to take from an art form that's perfect unto itself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I can, yeah. I, I, I can see that for sure. Um, but like, okay, so, oh yeah, I, I read something really interesting, which is that, so 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 it was Rand Blake that inter, that like introduced you to the singer of Birthing Hips. Is that correct? Like, I feel like I read an interview with, maybe with her where she said uh, yeah. that or, or suggested that you two play together or something like that? I think he did. That was like a while ago, but yes. Um, it's funny to think about origin stories a lot, but um, yeah, I think he, he was like, you two should play together <laughs> like in his sensei mode. Um, and we did, we did it for one of his classes and yeah, he like, or maybe even if he didn't do it, which he like probably did, I think like we both were interested in like fusing things together, but not like in the fusion way, like in just maximizing the diversity of what we could do and like, I don't know, something. But either way, he was a factor in how we came together. Mm -hmm. But but like it's it's kind of fascinating. Like I think I saw a, a video of um, like maybe it was her sort of recital or something and birthing hips is playing at it. Yeah. And like, like, I don't know. I just like this idea that that stuff could, you know, as opposed to the Eastman thing mm -hmm. where it's, you, it's sort of, you know, one's outside, one's inside to have this thing where you're actually kind of like, there's like this punk DIY thing mixing with your studies. Yeah. That, to me, that seems kind of incredible. It is totally incredible. I mean, it's just not very normal that that's like a possibility. And <laughs> there's so many like little tangents I want to go on about it because there is there is definitely like a weird class argument and like way to examine <laughs> you're done there's like a way there's a way to look at like what we were doing as like very like like tinkerers in this genre that usually 
you are afforded the space to tinker by your desire to do it rather than like your desire to put some money forth or like hope to get a scholarship so that you can do it. Um, and I would hate to put words in anyone's mouth, but I do think that that, um, that did create a sort of interesting reading of things with, for a drummer who was in, um, like the drummer of Birthing Hips, who was a technical death metal drummer before, and a punk drummer before they were with us. So <coughs> there's just like a few, yeah, there's some interesting parts of it that are a little bit unsavory reclass, but I also think that it's so cool to be able to talk about this music with people who are dedicated to really thinking about it rather than being like, let's play the next show. When are we going to Canada? I'm going to drink in the van, which is like another thing that I've been through with both like privileged conservatory musicians and like died in the wool, whatever people alike, you know? So that being said, NEC is just like the degree program I was in CI, you can essentially do anything provided you have like a heady enough justification of it, which I almost don't want to be here, but <laughs> like on this podcast, but it's totally true. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But that kind of like, that kind of like, like, like the DIY sort of thing of, you know, like playing in a band like that was, 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 did, did you have a lot of experience with that before birthing hips or was that the, like sort of the, really where you got deep into that like sort of scene? It's where I got deeper into it. And also the New York, the Western New York scene that I was in is really different than the Boston scene because the Boston scene had like a heavy precedent from like the late 2000s to 2012-ish, there was like a really amazing house show scene. Things from Boston had like a personality and there was like this grunge revival thing. And just like, it was a completely different DIY structure than like Western New York, where it's just like, nobody gives a shit about our town. So we're just gonna make punk music and like, it will look like a noise scene, but everyone dresses like it's 1996 and it's not like because they bought shit at Urban Outfitters. It's like, this is just like weird, Rust Belt shit. And so it sort of got to be where I, I understood DIY as like a mode of existing in music versus like DIY as an actual ethos, how I saw it in Rochester. But that also may have been because when I was in Rochester, it was like the first time I really saw it. Because when I was in Maryland, I was just hanging out with jazz kids. And I like, if I wasn't hanging out with jazz kids, I was like hanging out by myself. And I didn't really know about the DIY scene so much. So, but I'd say, yeah, yeah, like, learning about the coastal DIY scene, sure, it was the heaviest, but, like, learning about the ethos and, like, what DIY really meant, I feel like I had, like, a ton of experience before going to, <coughs> I'm so sorry, before going to, like, NEC, mm, mm. DIY clown college, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, th there's, yeah, there's, like, a few directions, like, I'm thinking about, but, like, I guess I'm curious, like, in terms of birthing hips, like the sounds or like the approach, like I feel like when I hear that, or at least I was, I was listening to it today and like, you know, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I, I feel like I heard a lot, like, okay, there was this stuff going on, like in maybe the early to mid two thousands, like, you know, like say Deerhoof or, or, you know, McBar mm -hmm. or this whole scene of like, not quite metal, not, but it was like, clearly that was in there, but it, it's a very sort of like, I don't know, this very like twisted version of, of, heavy you know underground music or something that didn't really have a name like was that did you feel like that, that was coming out of that whole kind of like 
movement? I think so. I mean, what Birthing Hips sounded to people in Boston most wasn't that. Though there's definitely, we all are like massive Deerhoof fans, of course. They're just brilliant. But, um, I mean, all of us were into metal and all of us were into jazz. And we also went to NEC where Gorilla Toss went and we had like a yelling singer. So people were like, we sound like Gorilla Toss. And like, sure. But I think that that's, that's more where I think what was put on us was that when like, yeah, Kralis is great. And like, I wish that that's what we were being told that we were like, if that makes, I would never wish that anyone would tell me anything at all, but maybe that, I don't know. Well, I mean, you mean that like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can somewhat in a, in an abstract way, like relate to that, like having been a person who's played in sort of like these maybe heavy bands, but that don't, that don't like coded as metal like we don't not getting up there like dressing that way or maybe having like a spiky logo of your band or something like that or like we have some really amazing birthing hips metal font logo rejects just so you know but yeah um i yeah i'm glad that you relate to it were, were you gonna go on? oh no no i mean yeah I, I i guess i was just saying like yeah there is that strange zone of of yeah like like heavy music but that's not you know, capital M metal because because there's like this sort of like checklist you have to go down if you if you're gonna play metal versus just like heavy music that's something else like ambiguous heavy yeah something yeah, yeah no that's an unbelievable point um, because to me I hear that and I think about the ways that when I was playing jazz at Eastman it wasn't they were like you don't swing hard enough and like you're not like smiling when you play and like all of this like things that feel like yes. I was playing jazz, but because by dint of like my um, gestalt, it wouldn't be like jazz because I don't like just I couldn't like play with more balls in a very literal sense. So I feel like, which is weird, because like if you check off the metal checklist, you can be anybody, and they don't give a shit. They're just like you're playing metal, like, and you look like a metal person, so you're totally like absolved. But in jazz, it's like. I don't really, I don't really know. I never really felt like I could play jazz because of um, some identity stuff, but also because like, I didn't feel like my voice was going to be a jazz voice. So when I hear that, I'm taken right back to jazz, to like jazz interiority, exteriority, like conflict where like, um, I'm the sort of person I'm playing jazz. It's still not read as jazz to the people who are the arbiters of jazz in my jazz school. but yeah, I mean, sort of to prep for for talking with you and like thinking about metal in a really deep way out loud, which I um, don't do as much as I could. Like, I was listening to a lot of stuff and I was listening to different things. Like I was going back and like checking out Converge and like just going to like, and beautiful stuff. Just like beautiful, beautiful heavy music, like and Kralis and I don't know, like the revival of Gorguts and stuff, and trying to figure out like what what about it made it metal and like obviously nothing except for the idea that it could be metal would be the thing that would sustain it. But I also don't know what it would be called, you know. I think <clears throat> it's difficult when you're thinking about genre. And to think about like the narratives that create those genres and like encapsulate those genres so they become what they become. And I think that like Birthing Hips, like, yeah, we had the chops of a metal band in some capacities, but I think we always, 
and maybe it's just like me but like I always feel like I'm translating myself within like into a pre-existing genre if I'm doing something like that and birthing hips just feels like translating like four different books at once into like this weird like second language master language of the band but like it's only our language thing um bad genre translations no I mean like yeah like I think that yeah it's it's like yeah I think like I was saying like it 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 definitely to me like sounds like one of those bands where you would have to have all that input yeah but it's but the output is not some clear you know it's not going to fit in one place or something like that and 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 like in, in yeah like you were saying like you know these genres like you know metal it can be kind of an easy an easy out um I mean, it's become so diverse and so, you know, there's so much like, you know, like with Kralis or any of this stuff, there's so much like space to get as, as weird as you want with it. But, yeah. but like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure really like what, what to, what to, you know, draw from that other than, yeah, birthing hips. It's like, I, I, I like that about it. I like oh. the fact that, you know, w- what's coming out, you know, there's, there's little sort of, you, you can like, you know, peg this or that moment as one thing, but you can't there would really be no point in like putting a name on the whole thing to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I like that. Like the fact that that's audible is, it feels like a really deep validation because I mean, a lot of that record, like within who we are was like reconciliation of opposites. Like in a way we were kind of like ultimate posers because we went to school and we're doing that kind of shit. But in another way, like being an ultimate poser is like a pretty fast track to being ultra genuine about something because you're sort of forced into being genuine because no one because you don't have a chance of pretending that you're doing it for for real. You know, like people already know the thing that others you from whatever your project is. And then from there, you can just like be who you are because people like a chip can be taken against you or something. I think we all we all had our own ways of interiorizing that and then like. I know that the music was strictly music. Like we weren't thinking like, well, I feel othered because I have this identity. So I'm going to make music that directly deals with that. But our interests served that like socioanalytic function. And I think that that's like really cool. But yeah, I think like we all really liked heavy music and things that were unclassifiable. I think the, the things that we loved about music were the fact that it could be patchworked and still be stronger than it was like a constant Argo thing rather than like, I'm going to build the ship exactly like this patch of like a newborn ship is going to be like bright purple instead. Like that's how it felt. It's weird. I I mean, I haven't had like musical situations that were exactly like that since it seems pretty unrepeatable too, Mm. which is cool. But I'm I'm curious about this, like this like poser thing, because it's like, like, do do you feel that a person who has like been to conservatory or something, do you feel like, that's somehow like incompatible with like some kind of like authentic DIY type of thing. Like, does that, does that automatically make you an outsider in that community? You know what? Like maybe if it was 2015 and everyone was still lying to themselves about a lot of shit. Sure. You know, but I think a lot of people in DIY are richer than me. You know what I mean? And a lot of people in DIY went to Harvard and like none of that has anything to do with how strong their moral ethical character is except for if they're like pretending that they're poor and that's gross and i think people know that that's somewhat of the ethos now but i don't know i mean i 
for me, I just feel like a poser whenever, whenever I realize that like a lot of the knowledge that I have is not from like a deep community and is much more from solo things because like one of the things that's so inspiring to me about punk is the community and a lot of what I know about punk I learned alone and so for me my poser feelings come from my solitude which is I think kind of good because it makes me realize that like ultimately like everyone is privy to this kind of solitude within musical genre and like what they want to be doing if they value the thing so much that they feel themselves able to view it with any kind of clarity and being outside like that makes you sort of a poser in the estimation of what's inside and I think that that's actually a virtue if you're going to be objective enough to take what's like what's grabbing you to that direction in the first place like me being outside of jazz and me being outside of metal and outside of punk and really outside of DIY has given me like so much freedom within each of those places to not like go in there and colonize it and be like, I am now like queen of metal guitar for like X or whatever, which would never be the case. But it does give me a sense that like to do the work that I have to do, like I'll be clearest on it when I'm so outside of it that I become the ethos like truly. And I think that that's, that makes me an insider in like improvised music because you are your, you are your, what you value there. I think you have to be to make your artwork legible. So yeah, like, like I'm like, you know, this idea of sort of like being feeling outside of all these different things, you know, it's interesting. Like, I guess I think about, I was, um, I think I saw a video online of you playing like at a jazz. I think at a jazz club with Earl Earl Clue. Yeah, when I was in high school. Yeah. So 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 like, were you like in a situation like that? Like, did you feel like you know playing you know, re- you know relatively you know straight straightforward you know in a style type of music that like did that like how did that feel at that time? Well, I mean, it always feels good to play like straight ahead jazz. It's like playing chess, but I'm really bad at chess. So it's like being good at chess and playing chess, which I've never experienced, but I bet it's like that. A circle. But I mean, that was like so long ago. And I love that it's still on the internet because I love leaving, leaving a trail, I guess, or just haven't worked hard to not do that. But either way, playing in that kind of thing, it's just like whatever the least alienated way of saying it's a job is... Like the most like it's a job like spark like Steven Universe eyes like level of like purity like it's a job like this exists I'm gonna go exist within this thing that exists my subjectivity doesn't even need to matter here right now because if it did I would need to work a lot harder to make the art that I would do within this job transcendent and that's not my mission right now but maybe back then it was I do remember at the Blue Note feeling very like like it. I didn't feel like I should be there. I wasn't really into freakier shit, like in a practical music way. Like I wasn't playing weirder stuff um, at that point. But it's so crazy. <laughs> like to be able. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. But how, but how did that like, like how, how did that specific situation come about? Like, was that were you were you like studying with him or something? Or, or? No, he heard me at um, the the Smithsonian American Art Museum when I was in high school and liked what I was doing and then allowed me to sit in with him at Blues Alley when he was there. And then he was like, why don't you play with me at the Blue Note? So it was very like, like he's such a sweet person and I haven't seen him really since. Um, (laughs) 
terrible breakup on the bandstand. There was drugs and... Uh, but, yeah, he just... I don't know, it was very much like, I'm gonna make you a star kind of feelings on my part where it's like, oh, I get to play with this person who, like, has links to, like, these big record labels and, like, is doing this. But it was also just a way to, like, play at a crazy club, you know? <laughs> Weird times. I haven't thought about that, like, honestly, since the, that video was filmed, probably. <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I read on, on one of the bios that you play with Curtis Fuller as well. Yeah, I think that was at Skidmore, and I think that was an early bio, and I was claiming a bid for legitimacy. <laughs> <laughs> to be totally transparent. Right, right, right. I don't right. know where. That's crazy. That's an ancient bio. I love that. Yeah, God, I got to really figure out how to have a web presence. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, you know, it, hopefully it all just sort of like accrues to your benefit. Sure, but yeah. he's he's the most beautiful person in the world. <laughs> well, what, how did that come about? Or um, I was at the Skidmore Jazz Program. Um, which is like a school, like Lisa Simpson's program, which is, I guess, the shorthand that I'm using for the whole podcast. But, um, and I was in his ensemble and he was playing, but he, he had a really serious mouth injury because he got pistol whipped. And so he can't really play that much right now. But he was like our mentor and just like a fundamentally beautiful, like, imagine what he's seen, like up close, like imagine being that and then like being around this like, titan of creative music and then like and then like playing with like kids so deep what a fucking range yeah i wonder if he notices like some like cosmological essence or something between the two or maybe he's just like happy to be not hurt i don't know either way that's my that's my very small thing but yeah there's been there's been like little entanglements with important people for my whole life which has been sort of a mystery to me and like a sign of some kind of fortune that exists if you view looking at somebody who is famous as somewhat more fortunate than just getting to talk to anybody but yeah <laughs> have you like just just out of curiosity like okay so you know having had those experiences playing jazz in this relatively like uh you know quote-unquote normal professional way just like very you know very straightforward like this is what i'm doing playing jazz like have you have you had that with metal like have you like no full no full no <laughs> always yeah. been on the outside of that right okay yeah it's weird i've played in a lot of rock bands but never fully metal metal's always been like this divine beautiful other thing you know where i get to listen to it and just play it with my friends but never like live it in a successful normal way which i have a little bit of weird shame about i'm realizing saying it out loud but Every every music, every rock music thing that I've made, and even in my like songs, there's like there's touches of of what I listen to in metal that's there, and that's like really structurally a part of how I write music. So I guess in a way, but yeah, I'm really outside of that. It's definitely not the same. Like I came up through metal, and by God, I swing. You know, <laughs> crazy shit to say. Um, but like, is that you know, and and I. Like I, I feel like I'm sort I'm always sort of interested in this like maybe from a, a person who sort of comes out of jazz but they're very into this stuff like I'm always curious to know like would would that be is that in any way like a, a goal or or a, or, a, or a curiosity like to to at one point like would you m- want to do that if the if the opportunity was there to like just like be in a band that 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 could be classified within metal and just sort of do that like is that I have like never been asked that and I love that you're asking that because I have no idea I think I would love it. 
I think when I'm like making music on my computer late at night, I make a lot of like total like agoraphobic nosebleed, like shut in metal for sure. And it's like my secret thing. Like I make secret that I make secret like bad house music. Like I have like troves of secret weird music because sleeping is funny. But in terms of like starting a band, like hell yeah, I would love that. I think Editrix sounds like a pop band right now. But like every with every new song we write, it sounds more like a metal band. Specifically, it sounds more like new metal, which I had never listened to before finding out in a blaze of glory that both my drummer and my bass player in Editrix are like, they grew up listening to System of a Down and like know that shit fucking cold and know like the lyrics and all like they know these bands and I listened to them and like like okay whatever and now I'm finding them very innovative and inspiring and I'm wondering in the same way that I'm finding smooth jazz or really just David Sanborn innovative and inspiring and I'm like is this the closest I'm gonna get to being in a metal band like a band that sounds like a watered down version of the things that I sort of already like but my band doesn't sound watered down it just sounds weird hopefully maybe it does oh my god complex after complex is rearing its ugly head in the podcast but Short answer, yeah, it would be fucking sick to be in a metal band. Please hire me. And I love to write <laughs> riffs, and I have so many of them hiding around. And I had one that was on its way to being something in Boston, um, which was cool, but then um, my drummer moved to Philly, which is what happens. But yeah, I just want to play all kinds of music all the time. But I think in terms of music I write, I would have to be, I would want to be hired for a metal band rather than like, starting it this is cool i'm imagining a future where it's already happened interesting question well i i saw like like are you, you're doing some gigs with ludenbachers yeah yeah so, so does that count i don't i mean i mean well yeah i mean who, you not know. to be in i don't know yeah well, that's that's always yeah, it's always a question but like yeah i mean but but obviously there's you know elements of, of that in there yeah um, how, how did how did that uh how did that come about um, I was playing in a trio with Damon Smith and Weasel for a few shows in Massachusetts and Connecticut. And then he like, I guess thought I would be a good fit and asked me and I was free. So I was like, here I go. And that's great. Cause they're huge. Like they're such a good band. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like Weasel's just like really interesting and funny person. <laughs> and so it's going to be kind of a trip. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I guess that's going to be very close to it. And I guess that if that's very close to it, then a lot of other bands I've been in are very close to being metal bands too. I think the thing is like, and to be completely revealing, um, the feelings I have about genre are really identical to the feelings I have about gender. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm having this like pretty huge reckoning with whether or not like I'm a girl, which is like a really weird thing to be dealing with when you're not like in your early twenties and when it's not totally trendy in Boston. Like, it feels like I'm very late to some kind of party to be worrying about these things. But the allowance of multiplicity in an identity leads to music like Kralis and leads to music like Lutenbachers and, like, Dazzling Kilman and, like, music that I value. Like, things that give evil space to different musical elements that don't find a home quite as easily in places that are solidified, um, in genres that are solidified. So I think as I skew more on the trans side of things or like the non-binary side of things to be more precise, my relationship to genre skews similarly, where I'm like, I don't want to be identified by a system of practices that um, 
exists in some relationship to power. And I think genre is a lot about marketability and power. And it would be sick to be in a metal band to be in a metal band because playing guitar in that shit is challenging and sexy and amazing. And it sounds like you're just running downstairs to get presents or something because of that, like, because of how blast beats sound and like playing on that feels so good. But like, ultimately it would end up having to be a little bit other because like, I don't feel, it's not like I don't feel like I'm subject to the same laws, but I don't feel like they apply to me in the same way. Um, of how language works in music and how identity works when somebody puts it on you. That got way heavier than I thought. But yeah, that's my feeling on that. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so all kinds of stuff to talk about within the last, <laughs> like, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's always a question of, like, which direction to go next. But I, I, I'm just, like, out of total curiosity, yeah. I have to ask about the Kilman thing because they were, like, a a big one for me so i'm sort of curious like where they came into the picture for you and like just like how that i learned about them on your blog oh okay okay (laughs) (laughs) read it assholes read it awesome (laughs) yeah no no, i read about them and uh y'all were like totally exalting them i think it was with taborn and i was just like whoa what's this fuck yeah and then i listened to them like at least like three or four times a month ever since awesome (laughs) yeah Um, I only know their bigger record, which I'm blanking on right now because I'm nervous. Face of Collapse, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That record, it's amazing how you can listen to an album so much that it's like gotten a groove in your head and you can still fuck up the title. (laughs) But either way, yeah, that music was really, 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 really big for me when I learned about it. So thank you. Awesome. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I'm always like psyched to turn people onto that stuff because like I grew up in the Midwest and like this and and there was all these bands there like in that region at that time doing things that other bands who were like sort of i don't know other bands got more well known for doing things like that but the sort of the midwestern bands like who well craw is another one yeah who who was a big one i i this uh i i like reissued their or i helped that was you yeah this one oh my god that's so cool i listened to that reissue oh oh you you have that one (laughs) yeah oh awesome oh yeah so so and yeah and my like uh one of guitar players from Killman and one guitar players from that are, are in this band that I'm playing in now. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. Do they live here? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you'll cross paths. I mean, yeah, like they're they're both they're both around. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Where in the Midwest are you from? Kansas City. Dude. Yeah. I've only been there once and I loved it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, the vibe of it is just so beautiful. And when I was there they had this speakeasy bar. Oh nice. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. I don't want to say any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's like, th- there was a great sort of scene there when I was growing up. There was a band called Season to Risk. It was another kind of like noise rock band that was happening there in the early 90s. Um, but yeah, I, I'm always, like when the Kill, when, Killman's one of those bands, like whenever they come up, I'm always like, like you know, because they just don't come up as much as I think they should. So No, they're really, yeah. they were, they're really amazing. <laughs> like, they're mystifying in the way that they actually use silence to give form, but without being in a dumb way. Another band that really feels like that to me is SU19B, which is this Japanese like blackened metal band. Well, I've not heard of them. Tell, tell me about them. Yeah. Um, they have a seven inch, and I listen to other stuff besides a seven inch, which I know that how it looks more than I know the name. Which is, I feel like this is turning me into like metal persona non grata. Like, I don't know the name, of them, but I, like, I, yeah, I mean, like, but that's the thing. Like, yeah, that, that I feel like there's that like metal archives culture where everyone knows every little statistic. Of, I mean, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. like I wish I were like that. I just like. Because then I would know even more amazing things, but I just, it's not kind of the way that I work. I kind of fixate on something. 
like when I first heard Gorguts, I was I listened to like every single album by them and tried to get to know them. And like same with Cryptopsy, I was like, which phase of this do I like the most? This phase, you know. And turns out it was all the phases. I think they're perfect. But either way, um, SU19B is the when I was starting to have this metal band in Boston before the guy moved away. He gave me the seven inch, and it's just like, uh, it's like he'll be so quiet and like so like they're Japanese and they sound like a Japanese metal thing where it's like instead of the like ambient music intro to like bandcamp metal like profound lore stuff like now it will it will be just like like and then like this beautiful like these little structures these like like very pared down like unit structure sounding forms it's like so heavy to me but yeah i'll i'll send you some of their stuff awesome yeah no i'd love to hear it they're yeah. really really cool they totally. were like when he showed me that i was like where's the music that sounds like this this is awesome and Killman was the only thing that it reminded me of but it doesn't really sound like them it's just the feeling of space totally yeah just as like a very small footnote though have you heard colossomite no but that's a name that's been bouncing around a lot I think I've even given them a pass and enjoyed it. Because that is the two guitar players now in Deerhoof with the singer of Dowsing Killman Fuck. before, uh, before um, Deerhoof. Whoa. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, after... Colossomite? Colossomite, yeah. So af- after Killman broke up, Nick Sakes, the singer of that, yeah. moved to Minneapolis, formed a band with John Dietrich and uh, Ed Rodriguez. Holy shit. And it is... It's as amazing as you would hope from those all that. two are like yeah insane. Yeah, I was wondering if they were like a like like a big thing for you. Yeah, like, that tr- uh, the trio that they had. Gorge trio. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was major for me. Yeah, um, especially because of how unique it is to not have a bass and to not make a big stink about it, but to just be innovative through that. It was major, and the way that they play off of each other in Deerhoof is like so much more conventional than the two guitar stuff that I really love in in Beefheart. But like, yeah, the way that they play is made is just huge. I've seen them play in Deerhoof like seven to ten times because I just love their interplay. Because every, I mean, the pyrotechnics of Greg are just, I don't know, you know, everyone knows that band is just amazing. Any band that thinks that they're Deerhoof is like hilarious to me too. You you mean sort of yeah like sort of like Deerhoof. Like, yeah, like Deerhoof has code for like cute. Right, right, right. Like cute, but like, no, they're tough. Like that band is so much deeper. And actually one of the people that I collaborate a lot with in Western Mass, this guy Neil Young, is um, from Fat Worm of Error, which is the best band. And like, he's just like friends with Deerhoof people. And I'm so fucking starstruck by that because like a lot of how I got into feeling comfortable talking about metal was like realizing that people who like Deerhoof like metal and people who like metal like will like deer hoof and like there there are actually avenues of like communication that can exist between these like not quite genres or these like almost genres and also it's the same people in rochester who are like lightning bolts is really good because i i don't like hella but i really like i liked what hella was doing when they were when i heard lightning bolt right right, right you right. know and they would come through with deer hoof and then it that would be like okay noise and noise rock and metal and somebody singing a beautiful melody can all totally coexist and so can jazz it was weird i don't really listen to i haven't listened to those bands though in a minute because i've been like 
I've just been listening to a lot of Revenge. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's funny. That band <laughs> keeps coming up. I mean, let's yeah talk talk about talk about them. Like yeah, um, well, they just sound like the recordings that they have sound like like the infiltration just death one yeah, yeah, yeah. like i think <laughs> infiltration downfall death i think yeah yeah, yeah yeah i was like downfall or destruction what's right the me- exactly what's the appropriate metal word right it, now it's just yeah yeah I, it's like mad libs with their titles dude yeah <laughs> like the metal word salad thing it blows my mind yeah. i like wish i don't have the thing for it because my word salad is way more like hoity-toity bullshit word salad but theirs is all like cool word salad like everything has like six syllables but they all mean like dark or something whatever but it, either way when I listen to Revenge, it sounds like I'm listening to my friend's tape from Rhode Island, but it's better and because I don't know my friend. You know what I mean? Like, it feels in the same way that, like, Jimmy Page feels like folk music to me because it's something I grew up on, even though not in the communal, like, I'm going to see Led Zeppelin way. I feel like that when I hear Revenge, like, this is a part of, like, my spine that's clicking perfectly to another spine because of the complexity of the m- music and because it's not trying to show itself off to me. It, like, the fact that it's so tapey makes me feel like I have to approach it, and the fact that it's so complex makes me feel like I'm actually being myself when I'm listening to it. So, like, they're major, and I, I've been listening to, like, to a lot of them and a lot of Titan Blood, and, like... I don't know if that's war metal, but I kind of... Tell me about them. I honestly, I, I'm not even sure I've ever heard them. Tell me about them. Um, I mean, as in all things, I only know my theory of it. But when I listen to Titan Blood, it's like I'm listening to a much better recorded something that's influenced by revenge. But it, to me, it feels, it feels like a more brilliant version of what if they were like, if they were like stretching out. Mm. it feels like because mm. re- revenge to me like they're so intense but it's like an in- intensity because of compression like not in that they're not doing a lot but in what they're doing is like very well founded it's like it's extreme because it's focused but it's not focused in like a stupid way either it's just like like and then it like moves and then it's over and you're like what and then you listen to it again and then all of these intricacies of form come out but titan blood you can hear the form and they're longer so it's like they give everything a little bit more space to develop and the and those sounds even have more room to breathe like decay functions differently in there in the way that they get tones of distortion revenge sounds more like Okay, if you're like, revenge sounds like what you imagine a black sh- a blacksmith shop looked like in like the 17th century, but like punk, almost like it feels like that, like somebody like in there just being like, fuck off, like I'm making a horseshoe or like whatever the fuck that they would do. And then when I hear Titan Blood, I, I hear like a modern day blacksmith shop that's still gross because it's like covered in like iron and whatever the fuck they do, but it's like you can see it more clearly and it's not like marred by time in the same way that the tape and the like way that the record sound can dictate. I hope any of that made sense. Oh yeah, completely. Okay. Yeah. Because the, because yeah, cause revenge, like, like you're saying the, the aesthetic of the sound is so much a part of it. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I don't like, like he, you know, that guy Jay Reed has just crafted such a, such a sound. Yeah. You know, it's and, amazing. Yeah. And like, and like, have you have you heard that band Axis of Advance that he plays in? No, but or again, he in? I should. Yeah, that that's that's that. I, I'd be interested to see what you think of that because that's like, it's a similar sound, and I think even the current sort of like singer of Revenge is also in it. But 
uh, it's almost like progier. The music is, it's like him, whereas Revenge is almost like this punk thing. Yeah. This is like them playing sort of prog. It's, it's pretty awesome. Does that mean like there's melodies? What is it? What it is just, it? just like, it just more, just like more complicated music, you know, like, yeah. or just more like, more like, like, more you know, formally, like obviously formally innovative. Kind of. Yeah. 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 yeah kind of. Whereas that stuff is in Revenge, but I feel like it's kind of buried under just like onslaught or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I got really into like, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but this like Hijokaidan kind of stuff, um, and like Garo Garo Gege Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. that scene uh-huh. of noise. I remember like loving the fact that it sounded like a burnt out gross candle, and then like getting into revenge and getting that sound in like a completely different, more controlled permutation of it, and not more controlled because I'm sure that there's like machinations that I just don't know that are going on in like the noisier things. But wow, it was just like, yeah, I think like in terms of like aesthetics, portal, like liking portal and liking Japanese noise allowed me to like revenge as much as I do. And that's why it feels like folk music because everything feels like it was building up to getting really into their shit. Mm, mm. And I also love punk, which like, I feel like I don't know anything about because like whenever I'm like, yeah, I like Hank Wood. Somebody's like, yeah, but do you know? And then it's like, I'm lucky that I know like the three cool punk bands, Mm. but I don't know much more than that. And I'm really like open about that because I take pride in my poserhood. But with revenge, I get to hear what I like about punk, but without any of the like scene bullshit. <laughs> That's sick too. I also, I don't know. My friend Shane's been getting me really into reggae. Oh, nice, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what this fucking podcast is about. <laughs> no, <Stay> I, mean, <laughs> <focused>. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm really into reggae too. That's cool. Um, yeah, um, but uh, like, yeah. Let's. I mean, let's talk about portal because you mentioned them uh, you know as being you know your favorite so tell me about that i don't know how i heard of them but i love how theatrical they are and i think that's cute but that's like an afterthought but it is cute and it's also really scary like all really intensely cute things like there there's like this element of like you're so cute i should probably kill you can, is this audible? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, it, that right. That's better. Like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> looking down the barrel of a gun. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So I got really into Portal when I heard somehow in a history that has removed itself from my brain that record like Outre or like yeah, yeah. Um, sorry to every French person <laughs> that exists. Um, but and I heard that song Thirteen Globes. And I was like, 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 oh my God, there's this like, and it's just like, you can actually hear melody, but it's not melody that seems like it's on the same affective register as like when Converge plays the thing and it sounds like, like cute, cute, like pop metal. I don't know. I'm from Boston. They're going to be mad at me. But um, yeah, anyway, they... It was like I could hear something that was like jazzy and like totally crucial, like a module that I even use or like a shape that I like to play when I'm like setting a problem for myself in an improvised music set. And like I heard it and was like, whoa, this is structural to the thing. And like all of the metal identity things like fell away for me. And I was just like, these are just 16 different shades of like evil gray like over top of each other like like as if new music 
was oh my god i like i can't say this but like as if like modern new music like wasn't so like into itself Mm -hmm. like things were moving in like this one fucking monad and then there was like this break and then there was jazz language and it was like oh my god that's like my whole life philosophy like i can see all these things concurrently and i can see these shades of gray like these literal ones and then when i heard 13 globes it was like a fucking come to jesus moment for me where i was like oh this is like how i perceive like music time where it's like like everything all at once and then like one register and then everything all at once and then like the same register but it's afterwards so you realize that it wasn't just a fluke and I don't know it was like the it was so extreme and there was such an aversion to melody in the classical sense of what melody is like a functional melody or whatever um for the rest of the album until that it was all just like sound and like duration and like different meters clashing against each other but again not pretentiously and then 13 globes had that like little like that little audible understandable riff that was jazz to me and I was like holy shit and then I got into everything and I w- I haven't been disappointed the record from last year was amazing and like it's just so great <laughs> they're so mysterious and usually when people are mysterious in that way like I'm gonna wear a clock head or whatever the fuck it's like haha you're mysterious but like you're definitely still a person under there but there's something about their otherness and I think they're from like Australia or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's something to that distance that I feel like I can hear where like, to me, the way that they see the world is like upside down. I don't know. I, I'm just like exalting them. I'm not really saying anything about like how they function, but I just think that they're like, everything I've heard has inspired me to write something better than what I already write. They're like my band that I go to for like inspiration all the time. Nice, nice. Yeah, and it's same thing for like Gorgads, honestly. Like, like Luke's pick thing with the guitar, where he's like, like the obscura thing. Yeah, yeah right. like that technique reminds me of shit that I would talk about with like Joe or like Joe Joe Morris. Joe Morris, yeah. yeah, like that extended technique that again. It's a cool thing that you can see. And when I was listening to them, I was like, why does this sound different? I love that this sounds different. Why does this sound so different? And then I like watched a few live videos and I was like, oh, that's why. Um, but it's not calling attention to itself. It's not like, this piece is about like, um, what is like the word? Is about the liminal space between, like any kind of, it's not like international art English version of new music things. It's like, this is a practical application of music in a genre that people adore and like that I adore and they're doing it in a way that feels genuine so much that all of the technical things just disappear and then like all you can hear is what they mean and I hear that with very few other bands and maybe it's just because I haven't spent as much time I hear that with Revenge too and I probably would hear it with that other band you mentioned but yeah yeah those are like even talking about them I feel like I'm like touched by the divine also i can't understand anything that they're saying which makes me feel like in other metal bands i can and i'm just like okay like you're talking about some catholic like classic images of kink shit that's cool but then with them it's like so far off from me portal you mean yeah yeah yeah. it just sounds like another another layer of noise it's so beautiful Mm. that like low whisper it's like so scary Mm. yeah they're just i don't know they're like my favorite band Mm. i i thought that was really cool like what you were saying about Gorguts too because like okay so like Obscura you know because they had those earlier albums and Obscura I think is like around 98 mm-hmm. I think is when it came out I think so too. And, and like yeah it's like 
it's interesting because it's like, okay, yeah, you were saying like these sort of uh, like avant quote unquote avant garde things happening in the music but without drawing attention to themselves like unpretentiously, and it's like that was before because it was this whole thing that happened with metal, like maybe around when Sun came out and things mm-hmm. like that, where it's sort of kind of this like idea of metal as like arty music like happened, but around ninety eight or something that was not yeah like like I don't I, you know. Like Gorguts, I don't think they're sitting there thinking of themselves. I think they were thinking of themselves as like pushing creatively, but I don't think they were thinking of themselves like they were still like, you know, just a, a metal band. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I think, yeah, because I feel like there's so much innovation in these like 90s metal bands that like, <clears throat> it seems like they were just like taking themselves seriously as musicians in a way that like, I don't know, that probably when Obscura came out, that was probably like when new metal was happening. You know what I mean? Like that's like as significant as realizing that like Sanborn's like night music TV show was happening at the same time as like so much weird eighties free music was happening and like late eighties, early nineties, which is like, or like late eighties, early nineties music is like my favorite in almost every genre, which is, I know like some bargain bin shit for a lot of people, but it, it was huge to realize that like, that sense of like desperation and like a decentralization of music and the culture because of commerce that was happening there was so potent for me. Like I hear something in there that's really special, but the fact that Gorguts was like paralleling these like pop things and not giving shit about them. Cause of course they didn't. And just holding themselves to this higher standard in light of what the culture was sort of doing with the music that they were making. That seems like tacitly very rebellious and like really interesting. And I wish that like, I wish I could hear that, that paralleling in other music, you know, I think the seventies is probably a better an- analogy for jazz really. Cause there was all this like money jazz. And then there was like fucking deep Braxton shit, and, like mm-hmm, AACM mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the real thing. And like, they were being, they had a different ethos about it entirely from like a metal band, but it still was flying in the face of everything that the establishment was actually giving money to. But I think I have nothing. I have no idea about like metals, economics except for that they seem to actually pay people which seems really funny and cool either way let's keep that out of this otherwise sacred conversation (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah it's just like really perfect musicianship (laughs) yeah and 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 like i feel like you know i didn't start to hear about I feel like that record and Gorguts in general, like sort of, it was like this snowballing word of mouth thing. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, you know, they they became, they became this metal band that people outside of metal were really like appreciative of. But like, you know, the first time I heard them was on some, I think it was like a Roadrunner Records compilation in the early nineties with all those other bands. It was just sort of like every Roadrunner band at the time, like like Fear Factory or something was probably on it or, you know, it was very (laughs) like, just like lumped together. But then like later I was like, oh my God, Gorgat still exists and they've turned into this whole like mutated thing. It was very wild. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause it's easy to forget. Like it's easy to forget that your heroes who are actually innovators are people who can, who have the ability to change, you know, like, it's not like you heard, it's not like you heard that music and then we're like, this is boring in the beginning. Like that is just really wonderful metal. Totally. But, but yeah. then like the fact that people can up it that intensely, it's like, I don't know. It's like remembering that Elizabeth Warren was a Republican who then worked on enough bankruptcy law to become somebody who created the like CDFA or CFDA or whatever it is. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That was CFPB. So like, yeah. The fact that she can do that and the fact that Gorguts can become what Obscura created Gorguts 
legacy into. It's fucking inspiring and cool. But what's cool about Portals, I feel like they're always kind of there. Like maybe their first record was a little more conservative, but like they're just so fucking weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, de- de- yeah de- deeply, deeply weird. I know. They feel um, like home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but so like like, like the... Like like you were saying, the later Portal records, like you felt like each one was just sort of like like reaffirmed, like your yeah. I mean, I haven't really like found a dud, but it also that's so funny. Could you imagine? Yeah, that one's a dud. They work so hard, but um, yeah, I've never really been like disappointed. I mean, it's also a little bit of like uh, this is my folk music. I'm going to be very protective of it. And when I listen to it, I listen for the good in it. And it's the same thing for when I'm listening to like Jimmy Page or when I'm listening to like. 80 synth pop or something like I I really listen like an optimist and I'm like yeah this is fucking amazing but sometimes I listen like a total hater and then I'm like oh fuck this even if it's really good you know that's how I was with I hate God because like I I like God as a concept and I live in a place where everyone's kind of a transcendentalist because it's like the northeast so like listening to a band called I hate God when I was a kid in the like in Maryland, I was just like, but I, I like God. I like divinity. So I listened as a hater for a long time until it finally clicked. And then I was like, this has nothing to do with that. Like they may as well be speaking French right now. Like this is about extremity. Well, that's, that sort of like brings up an interesting point. Cause you were talking before about like sort of tuning out lyrics. And I guess that's a question I'm always curious about is like, okay, does the, cause you mentioned liking kind of the imagery of portal and things like that. Mm-hmm. But like in general, in metal, like whether it's, you know, Cannibal Corpse or any of this stuff, like, <laughs> like does the, does the subject matter and imagery, like how much do you embrace it and how much do you tune it out? I embrace it because I love it and I love people's love of it. But when I'm listening to the music itself, um, unless the lyrics seem like extremely determinative of something going on, I usually tune them out, which makes me feel really rude to say it because I write lyrics. And if someone said that about my shit, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> like fuck off. But I mean, it can be super brutal, but I'm not going to like sit there and pretend that like I am sacrificing somebody or whatever. Like the mimetic desire for me to have those feelings that like metal, per- like people who don't listen to metal thinks that metal makes you feel. Um, that holds much less appeal than what they're doing as a unit. And like the voice is so important to that. But yeah, also I simply can't understand it. Like it's my failure as a listener to be able to determine their syllables that like makes it so that I can pass over it, not anything that they're doing, but like that's about the lyrics. But in terms of the imagery, I think it's really cute because like much in the same way that I was, I brought up kink earlier as like some kind of modality of like technical prowess and like some kind of like ancestral value there. I feel like that happens with, with metal and like the same culture that created those kinky imageries in the first place for people like the Victorian thing and like medieval torture shit, like all of that. It's fucking badass and it's cool and it's heavy and I love looking at it and I love thinking about it. But to me, it feels like such a funny thought experiment of what extremity can look like. Because really what's extreme is the fact that a guy is wearing a clock thing and running around a thing, not the, not the clock thing itself. So like when I look at metal imagery, I look at metal imagery beyond itself because I, am, I view things from my outsider lens a lot and I'm attracted to that, like that dedication. And it's just like pretty the music is really it's like sexy to me but like the aesthetics are so defiantly unsexy that it's kind of deep 
also. So I don't know. I think it's like, oh, it's like almost cute, but like not in like a derisive way, like in a like, I value this. This is fucking sick. You do you mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I do say that I really love it. And I remember like the first time I heard Sabbath in like sixth or seventh grade being like, whoa, that looks cool. Like these things look cool. These albums look cool. There's like a tangible filth like thing to it that I really related to. And, but I mean, it just looks funny, like funny also like evil, but really hilarious and definitely a cult. So, so, but you, like, uh, we, we hadn't really talked about Sabbath. Like, like, are they, were they, were, are they big? Yeah, like they're big for me because they're like, if Sabbath somehow founded this music or whatever narrative you want to give to that, if Sabbath somehow existed now, I don't think they would be like considered a metal band in some ways, like some significant ways, but I also can't speak to that with any authority, but I do have this feeling about them where like they're fucking important to me. Like talk about aura that a band creates and like talk about just several perfect albums like one after the other it's like it's amazing that people can can do what they do (laughs) like that but um they seem like they're between two worlds in the way that like a lot of the music that we talked about earlier like deer hoof is or something because they seem like a psych band to me like most of the time but yeah i don't know i love them Mm -hmm. i think i think when i finally let myself really love them a lot of things turn around for me it's kind of like therapy where you're like Ah, the process is just listening to this album really fucking loud when you're driving through the snow. It's great. <laughs> so was it like late? Was it like later after some of this other stuff came in, or? Well, I mean, it's always a renewal with them because they seem so like actually primordial, right? Um, like like more than sleep or ohm or something. Like I think that at the root of everything is Sabbath, and so I listen to them like to try to be cool and then it got me to be cool in middle school like within myself I was never cool that way but then like every couple of years I would listen to them again and be like yeah all right and then like mm, like two more years like yeah okay fuck yeah and then like pretty soon it turned into somewhat of a religion where I listen to it and like if I'm teaching a kid how to play guitar it's like the riffs are like they make enough sense that I can teach it to you first and they're accessible and they get everyone into the aesthetic and it fucking slaps and it's the best music. So it just, it always progresses into deeper love the more I revisit it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so I, I was wondering, okay, so we talked about like, you know, like would you want to be, you know, be in a, you know, a capital and metal band or something like that? And like we, we sort of touched on that, but I guess I'm wondering like, like, okay, because there's some stuff in Birthing Hips that like, you know, like, I think there's like a blast beat section on that record. Really, really yeah, awesome. Yeah, doesn't Owen sound great? Yeah, so, yeah. So, and I love the way the drums are produced too. I, I really like that sort of like, you know, kind of distortion on the on the kit. Uh, oh yeah, they nailed fantastic. it. Yeah. Um, but I guess I'm wondering like, what is, what is like the heaviest music you've ever played? Um, like would it, <laughs> would it be something in that band or something somewhere else that, that I, we haven't talked about yet? Um, holy shit. I think when I do improvise music with groups, it's heavier. Not the one on the Zodic. I think that's really heavy and really interesting, but that's like a different thing. Um, there's some really, really fucking heavy shit in my new rock band. Like, 
really scary like <clears throat> I referred to it earlier as new metal which I now regret because I want to like talk about how heavy some of these things actually are so I really shot myself in the foot there but then again it's a podcast and linearity can be part of the question for you <laughs> but um yeah I think some of the times I've played with editrix have been really fucking heavy I think in terms of there's one there's there's been a few touches um one in the no idea festival in austin that i played a few weeks ago i played in a trio with stefan gonzalez and damon smith and stefan as you might know is just like a brilliant metal drummer totally and like we could get there like we didn't have to be obvious about it but we got there and it was like I want to fucking start a band with him so much. I want to like move to Texas. He's so good. Or get him over here. Cause I was just like, Oh shit. He can like swing deeper than like most people I've ever played with. And like also do this thing that I love. Like, okay, we're getting somewhere, but that isn't it really. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's weird. I want to say it's in groups. Yeah. I hope we're doing okay. Um, Oh no, it's great. Yeah. I want to say it's in groups, but to be totally honest, I think the most metal thing was, uh, or the most heavy thing was last night. I was playing one of the text pieces on the guitar and my finger burst open and I was bleeding all over the place and I had to keep finishing it. And like, even if it was, even if that literal pyrotechnic thing didn't happen, like the emotional weight and like the way that I've been conceiving of the solo guitar when I'm not like trying to bridge the singing and the yada yada blah blah whatever thing um yeah it's all just getting heavier the more i the more time i'm spending here like on earth like it feels it feels like i can't do the light thing as well anymore right now (laughs) so i don't know if that might be too like abstract of a way to give a solid thing to but yeah, probably last night. Yeah, well, no, because I, I think, it, yeah, that speaks to this thing that's like, it's not always so literal. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah, like, like what is heavy music or, or like, like, you know, it doesn't have to be something that's the most like generically metal or something like some other kind. <laughs> or like the loudest or something. Yeah, like, 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 yeah, as, as we know from talking about all this stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess like, I'm wondering like, okay, so there's like the sort of area of music and, and you did, you did talk about this like, um, sort of like skepticism of like, you know, the the jazz appropriating pop and things like that. But I guess I'm wondering about like, we haven't really talked about like quote unquote fusion or <laughs> like, you know, like in its kind of early state, like, you know, whether that's Mahavishnu or things like that, like, like yeah. was that in the way that like Chirac kind of like opened a path, was there something, was there something revelatory about hearing things like that? Or was yeah. that? Oh, yeah. There was, I mean, I don't know. I would love to know the rest of that question, but, um, yeah, I mean, when I was like twelve, I heard that I heard Mahavishnu like like a lot of their records because of a friend, and um, it made me realize that time didn't have to be four four. And it was not the same friend that showed me all the like crimson shit, but it was like I can't hear crimson as anything but like jazz fusion in a lot of ways. So like maybe it's in the same universe but I heard that and I was like whoa virtuosity is like interesting and you know what I'm actually really proud of and I'm going to share with you is that like it's really cool to get to the point where you realize that even as a kid the virtuosity thing the point wasn't to 
like yes it was sort of to like win when i was like a kid and totally like underdeveloped in terms of like being alive i guess but like um i knew it was about something beyond it and sometimes mclaughlin plays and you're just like you're just playing and sometimes mclaughlin just is virtuoso shit and you're like yo that's interesting like uh what is that record like in lifetime that's him yeah yeah you mean the emergency yeah 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 or um just like both of those records is he ego too uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, well I'll, that's a good question is he on okay because he's he's on um he's on turn it over yeah but ego i don't i think he might not be in that Who I think is that might it? be ted dunbar no way dunbar? i think so we should look that up because that's gonna like you're it's it's over there well yeah 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 well i mean <laughs> i think yeah i think maybe it was mclaughlin is the trio on the first one the second one i think they just add jack bruce the same trio and yeah. i think after that i don't think he's on the other ones i could be wrong yeah i don't know i mean i just know i just listen for like but what were you going to say about that? Um, well, that's like the fusion that I actually really, that turned a major point for me. Right. Like the Mahavishnu thing was cool because it showed me what was possible. But then like Lifetime, and I know it's really funny because, oh, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's, sorry. <laughs> Hello. It's, I know it's also kind of funny because I know Kate talked about this too, but um, Lifetime was really major because it's, it had like all of the sex and the, the pacing and the goofiness and like the Kim Gordon vocals of like rock music. Um, but it, it had that like Dwenje thing, you know, that Lurka thing where you're just like, Ugh. like, just, like the every like Cthulhu drawing wants to have but doesn't have. Like that's what Lifetime has, and like so much more. And so, ugh. but that was the turning point for me. Like I heard that song. That's like there comes a time when you want to be yeah, older. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, first of all, I can sing jazz. Like if this is happening his voice sounds like mine and it sounds like Chris Weissman, who's my favorite songwriter. And it sounds like, like all the, all the singers that I like, it sounds Brazilian. And I was just like, fuck, okay, this is like actually accessible to me. So it felt practical in that way. And then also to hear a guitar doing a riff, like do, 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 like doing stuff that sounds kind of like that felt like, it felt like I didn't have to play jazz guitar and I didn't have to play like fusion, like wanky guitar. And I didn't have to play, like, sad John Abercrombie guitar, and I didn't have to play, like, you know, genre fuck guitar, like, Bill, or, like, whatever. Just, I could, like, play the kind of raw thing that I did, and that hit me, bef- like, long before I really let Sonny Sherrick in, so that I think that was actually, that's what allowed that turning point to be so major, is mm-hmm, the fact that, mm-hmm. like, the playing on that felt very homegrown, and it felt like, it has that same, like, dark soft like evil but in a subtle way feeling as like there's a riot going on or something like it felt like it transcended genre but it was fusion i think it's like the only like that band might be the only fusion band that's actually transcended genre for me they're so good yeah i I can see yeah i mean in some ways it's 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 far weirder in a way because like you were saying it just like lets in so much more yeah i don't know what they did yeah like I hear it. So, okay. There's like a, there's like a through line in my listening and I don't know if this has anything to do with heavy metal or bebop. I honestly think maybe neither, but there's this band called dimples. Do you know this band? Um, New England Patriots. Mm-mm, no. So they're from Boston and they're really good. They're, um, voice with effects, guitar and drums, and they've been around for a really long time. 
but the singer of that band has this other project called dimples and it sounds it's slow and it's my favorite music in the world probably like it brought me out of a funk in the same way that Sharik and lifetime brought me out of a funk um and Derek bailey did and really albert eiler like those four but like this was my like new funk getting out of music and then it turns out that it sounds in pacing a lot like um the soundtrack of firewalk with me which sounds a lot to me like a slowed down version of lifetime so i like i yeah i really think that that opened up like some crazy neural path where like i need i need that like dirty sound and i need it to be imprecise and i need the guitar playing to to be him actually pushing it rather than just resting on what he can naturally do right, right yeah right, right. it's the only time i've really heard him do that Herb McLaughlin do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like, at least on the one that I know is him. And now I'm having some sort of, like, lifetime dys- dysmorphia where I'm like, who played anything? <laughs> who am I? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 could be, I could be wrong, but I don't think it's him on that. I don't, we have to look that up. Yeah, that would be a fun project, though. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a walking over there project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, let's see. Like, okay. I was curious about that. Okay, because we talked about like birthing hips, like playing at um, at NEC, like as part of the sort of you know school you know yeah. structure or something like that. And I, and I also saw those videos of like the the Zorn um, tribute thing. Yeah. Um, and it was really interesting to see like the one where the I think you're in it, and, and there's a vocalist. I think it's the Moonchild stuff. Yeah, with uh, Lataro going like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like it's it's it was like sort of fascinating. Like, what was that like to play this like? I don't know, like such like weird aggressive music, like in this sort of like school context, like, well, I was really mad about some stuff at the time. So it was like pretty easy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the process was really great. Cause I got to know Zorn who's been really amazing in my life and, um, who's really supported what I do, which is kind of a miracle when you grow up listening to somebody, um, like him and to have it be real this is some very like Cinderella shit, but wouldn't it be so cool if I met other Cinderella? Because we're on Heavy Metal Bebop podcast. I'm helping. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was cool because of that. And also because you can tell that he really wants things to be good, which I love because it's care and it's totally a metal ethos to me when people actually want to rehearse shit. Like it feels good. Um, so it was cool to like rehearse shit that sounds like that. And it was all written out, which is really funny. But what interesting thing is a lot of the DIY solutions for some of the things on the score for that, that I had found had like nothing really to do with that trio as it was recorded. Like I wanted to use this like effects pedal for this thing that was just a harmonic. I don't know. I had like a lot of, like a, a lot of translation things because it was written down. But if I was learning it from the record, I think, which I probably should have done, I think I would have learned it differently. But playing it within the school thing was cool because it was just, it was at the service of like honoring this composer that I love. So it was like, yeah, this is not at like St. Vitus, like whatever. It, this isn't at Maryland Death Fest, but we're doing like this thing that mat- that matters to me and to somebody else and we're showing it to an audience that like, wouldn't ordinarily like know or care about metal and also it's like so tonal that like you can just enjoy it you know what i mean 
like it's concert music in the sense that it's notes like if i was going to play music that sounds like portal in that hall i would be so anxious because you need the sounding of the turning wheels of the thing right, right. um but for that it's so melodic that like it translated really nicely to the space mm-hmm. and also yeah i don't know it was fun it was weird to rehearse that um i always wish that it, everybody in the world could hit heavier at what they do but that's some that's just a thought about like how to perform metal or like music because I do want somebody picking me up by the scruff of my neck feeling when I'm like playing it and I didn't it's hard to feel that in a beautiful hall right 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 wait yeah. so, so did you so so just to clarify like were you rehearsing it like was he there for the rehearsals like no no never. they would send okay. recordings and he would send these like beautiful little epigrammic emails being like no or yes but like here's some really specific thing and mostly he was really satisfied with it. Mm. The Saigon pickup one was harder to get because, like, I was learning a lot. <laughs> trying to do, trying to translate from, like, metal person in one place to, like, Frizzell genre fuck thing is a lot of why I wanted to do what I did in Birthing Hips as, like, on the guitar chair or whatever. Because, like, you develop that skill and it's, like, fucking addictive. You're like, oh, you want me to do, like, country surf rock now? And then you want me to do this shit? Like, fuck yeah. Like, I can actually do that. And it feels like, <sighs> like that same Cobra thing. If you ever play it where you're like, like, holy cow. Like, I can do this thing and, like, I have to pick another genre. And that means that I have to be essentialist and not have anxiety about it because I don't have the time. Because it's literally a game. Like, wow. Like, it feels so good that your composition is affected by it. So I think, like... It felt good to do those pieces regardless of where they were because they just had such an influence on my life. But Moonchild was a little different because it was just music, like beautiful right, music. Right, right. Yeah. Well, when, when did like the, like was the Naked City like the first thing you heard of his or? Yeah, yeah. it was the first thing. And then I got into like Masada shit. But my favorite thing of his, I have two. Um, my serious favorite thing of his is his game pieces. I think they're some of the most brilliant texty things and they just let the instrumentalist be themselves. And most text or game pieces that I've read are so controlling and so disrespectful to the improviser. And his is really coming from the standpoint of like, this person can do this. And this person like has the ability to like differentiate between sounds, which some performers of it really don't. And you can tell, but it's so it's such like unbelievably important work to me. And then the other one that I really like is Dreamers Christmas because that shit is cute and like pure. And it's a Christmas album and it's so fucking whacked and perverse. And I really like cute stuff. I mean, I like metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um so so like like how did that um how did that lead to the like the Zodic record? Um, we kept in touch and I played an improv night of his with Chess and Trevor there and he he saw me kind of just bring it there because he'd seen me like play the stone for like the NEC day and it was like pretty confusing because it was like a marathon and it's really not that smart and I had played like some bagatelles but I hadn't really like done anything there because I was still in school and I was touring a lot with hips and like just prioritizing like non downtown stuff for a sec. And then he heard me really like bring it with those people and was like, I think it's time for you to do a Zodic record. And then just like whirlwinded me into doing it. And it was really great. And it's so cool to step into a lineage of playing with that rhythm section because they are so like, they sound very bonded to me. And like, 
they've played on so many things together. But it is also difficult because they are so busy. So that's kind of like, like we're touring in October, but it's hard to do stuff stateside because they book a lot further in advance than I do just because they're like, literally, they're just further along in like knowing everybody and having blocks out for tours and shit. And also I do run things on a very DIY, DIY scale where it's like, oh, you want to play a show at this house? And I'm still just like, yeah, of course. Like, I never don't want to do that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But it led to that because, like, he heard us play together and liked it, I think, is as simple as it was. And he's really funny and cute and fun to work with. So it's just sort of like, oh, this is great. This is all positive. Have you, have like, in the context of any of that, have you have you two been on stage together? Or is it more like you're playing within his events? or like how? Um, We've played on stage together at the Improv Night, which is the second okay. to last one. And he, like it felt really connected. We hadn't done that before or since. Cause like the, I've done his Cobra and Bagatelles, I think <coughs> what's actually cool is that like, while I've done his events, he's never like made me do like, he's never used me in his stable of guitar players in a traditional way where it's like, you're going to read this like music and do whatever because whatever but in a lot of ways he's given me the opportunity to play as myself every time yeah which to me is like an enormous vote of confidence because like i don't know it's a huge he's a really really important improviser and composer and to have him um put me in like leadership or improviser roles rather than like subject to another voice to me seems like a vote of confidence in my actual vision versus my potential as a like just a performer and that's like something I actually hold on to if I'm feeling a little bit like nobody cares or like, nah. I'm just like, actually wait, there's somebody who has faith in this. That's like, that doesn't have any reason to have faith in this. And that's so fucking sick. So that's my Zorn thing. Nice. Yeah. Um, like, like tangentially related. It's, I was talking, I think with Kate, Kate Gentile about that, um, that disdain yeah. thing that you do with Matt Mitchell and like, I didn't get to see it, so I was like, and she spoke, you know, she said it was a really intense night. I'm just curious, like, what your impressions of that gig were. Um, that gig was cool. I loved playing with everybody, and I loved the extremes of in, of timbre. Like, holy shit. I love the way that Matt orchestrates, and I love playing his music. And with Disdain, I want it to be real, but, like, I almost wish that I had brought down my, like my more metal guitar because I feel like he wanted a more revengey tone and like I couldn't really get the that tone on a jazz master but that one was the one that was like set up the best but anyway it was I think intense because he wrote these like really long pieces I think like I think it was two that night and I think that it was like one like 40 minute long piece and one like 20 minute long piece or something like that. And like, that's fucking crazy. And a lot of it fell on Kate because like, she was a delineator of the form, which is like the best part about metal though, because like a lot of the times it's, you can hear the drums the clearest as if they're the front voice and like she can do that. But also like a lot of the correctness of the music falls on her because like everybody else can almost sound like they're improvising. Like if they're not held by a really, really good drummer. It's kind of, I think that might be one of the, like, secret things that links it in its intensity and, like, skillfulness to, like, new music or something or, like, modern classical, but not bad neoclassical music. Like, is that the drummer or, like, the rhythmic thing is actually the delineator of the form. Um, 
it was a really intense night. I wish it was forever. But, you know, I hope we play again. Mm, I think mm. Matt needs to be playing metal because he knows about so much of it. And so does Kate. <laughs> yeah. And when they're, like, doing their thing together, it's just like, whoa, shit, like, this rules. And I also, like, I like it because I'm a weird guitar player for metal because I love treble. And I, like, come from more of a, like, a Mel banana e place and the music I listen to really sounds like. And so... Yeah, and everybody's really nice in the band. I don't know. I thought, like, musically, it's amazing. I still go back and I hit those charts when I want to, like, get a finger workout and when I want to, like, feel just, like, how beautiful his lines can be and also how funny. Like, I think there was one in that piece that was, like, dun 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 like, at the end of it. Mm. It's fucking cute. Yeah. Yeah. Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but, like I, like, I guess I'm curious. Okay, so... I Okay, so, so not, not necessarily having played metal in this sort of like very, you know, straightforward way. Like, how do you think, and this is like a fairly general question, but like, how do you, how do you think that listening to all this stuff informs like the improvising? L- like how much of this comes into that improvising? Ooh. Um, I want to be smart. And I want to be good, so I'm going to try to take a sec. Because this is a really major question that I deal with all the time and yet never talk about somehow. Um, I think because of how little I understand about what they're saying in metal, I am free to put on whatever like musical aesthetic um, affect register that avails itself to me. And so I can hear it, and the narrative that I put on it is strictly about sounds organized in time. If it's a matter of, like, density, there's, like... <laughs> there's just, like, some bands where there's... Where, like, SU-19B, where it's, like, there's just silence. And then it's, like... And then it's, like, nothing. And then there's bands where it's portal, and, like, the silence are the packets of air within each, like, noise thing. But either way, because I can't really discern, or maybe because they don't even have some sort of, like, beautiful master narrative that I would listen for in, like, a suite or, like, a piece, I can view the way that they're organizing sounds as, like, kind of almost neutral, where I'm like, this is just a beautiful piece of music that I love, and it's not about a tree, or it's not about, like, my dad or anything, it's just, or maybe it is, but it's really about what it is like metal is so extreme that when I do go and see a metal show and just get into the visceral like ritual thing of it I feel um I feel like I've pierced a veil like I feel like I'm actually there and when I improvise that's what I need to be doing too so for me it's like it's kind of like being a respectful listener to what's on the table there like when I play metal things they sound not really like metal because i don't have i'm not like a like i do it i get that sound i play heavy music in the way that i play heavy music but it's always been extremely idiolectic but when i'm using the metal thing and what i love about metal and improvisation it has to do with how well can i listen to the intricacies of sound and space without assigning a narrative to them and if i practice that well enough it's like a a complete moment of like musical clarity where like 
I'm not thinking about what ha- happens next. What happens next is based off of everything I've heard before and can't hear right now in the minute. So it's a really, it's like a super deep thing for me. Um, because if I don't do that, then it becomes empty technique and it becomes stupid. And like, what's cool about metal is you can tell that people who play it can probably do anything on their instrument, but they're choosing to do that. And when I improvise, I want, I don't want people to think I can do everything on the instrument because I think that's kind of vain and like not the point, but I think like, I think I can hear behind the line if I listen to, like if the metal thing that I love so, so, so much comes through, it's like, it's like hearing beyond vocabulary for me. Because what I listen to for metal is not vocabulary that will be functional in my day-to-day life. It's for, it's for something that's like really outside it. It's for visceral things. It's not even for like the aesthetic, which can seem really flimsy if you like examine it up close, but also so important to it. It's just, it's like trying to transcend everything to listen to metal for me, which is, I think why it feels so at home for me too. This sounds so like, I feel like I'm dancing around something extremely clear. But I think the the main thing is with metal, you can't put a narrative on it and what you get, what you hear is what you get. And the more you put into listening to it, the more you get every single time, unless the band is really bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with improvisation, like that intensity, that same intensity that I'm talking about metal usually having, if it's good metal, is like, it's just there. It's there the whole time. It's a through line. It's like the same one, except for you have to write the thing. It, it, I don't know. I don't want this to... I don't want to meander too long in, into theorizing about it, but like I do listen to metal the same exact way I listen to Braxton. And like that music is like everything. Like That's like all of music for me is like that intensity and that physicality and that absence and refusal of a common narrative, even if the lyrics might be about that in metal, but I just don't know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to be thinking about that for a very long time. <laughs> but like one thing we haven't really touched on, I mean, and like sort of, you know, bridging off of that, like yeah. how much time have you spent on like metal technique? Like whether that's, whether that's, you know, playing stuff off of uh, like that you heard off a death metal record or mm-hmm. like even like, you know, the older metal techniques, whether, you know, the, the, the like edit- sweeping and like, yeah, like, like how, how much has that been like a part of your, you know, work? Um, if I hear something I like, I want to learn how to do it. So I, I tried to learn the Luke stuff. I tried to learn how to get like Sabbathy sounds, how to get like whatever he sounds. It's been part of it because I kind of pride myself on being a really capable player and so like it's being good at that has been important to me so I've learned it if I've liked it but when I've been in in stuff like like birthing hips and like editrix like the way that I play metal material in there comes from like me wanting to be in a successful capital M metal band and playing how assuming that I can do it like first I assume hardcore that I already know how to do it and then in so doing I create like a different kind of way of doing it which is like me kind of being just like an upstart or something where I'm not like, I don't know. It's really important to me to be able to do it. So I try to do it really hard, but I also 
operate from the assumption that I already can do it. And then when I do it like that, the vocabulary is easier for me to learn. And so it's in there. But it's also very difficult when like a full half of your practice is dismantling pre-existing vocabularies while building up your technique so that if you have an impulse, you can play it. Because you don't want it to be all associative when you're improvising because then it becomes like a riff salad and you're not really listening to the moment and responding to what's presenting itself there. So trying to like reconcile the part of me that's like a really intense technician that like can play changes really well and like knows bebop vocabulary and the part of me that knows metal vocabulary and techniques and like aesthetics and how to play that and what pedals to use and what kinds of gain exist and like all of those specificities all of those are so much of my practice that it needs to be dismantled at the same time as I'm building them up so like it never comes out like I or not never but it's very rare that I get the chance to be like as bald-faced about how much I do like to practice metal stuff because that's so not the point of how I conceive of improvised music as I make it. But it does totally, sh it's just all over the newer Editrix stuff that's being recorded in the next couple months. Like, it will be very obvious that, like, I watched and enjoyed that Pantera VHS, you know? Like, that dime bag was important to me as a kid. Like, it's not not there, and it's definitely something I've worked on. It's just, I just wasn't, a, I wasn't forced to do it the way that I was forced to do jazz vocabulary. So like, it feels a little like more homegrown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've always been drawn to jazz players that play like that and metal players that play like that. Like people like on the more Jandecky sides of technique than others, you know? Um, so I just like, I'm looking through all these sort of notes, like there's a million places we could go, but like just, I feel like there's just like three guitar players. I want to just like sort of like rapid fire, just like put the <laughs> name out there and just like hear, hear I like, like just out of, out of total like personal curiosity. I'm just going to say no matter what, that I don't know who they are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. feel, feel free. Um, okay. So the first one would be Robert Fripp. Um, really amazing. Listen to him on my way down never connected to him in a deep way, which is embarrassing maybe, but, um, he also, he's, he's new standard tuning guy too, right? I'm not sure actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Cause I know, I know his work and love it. And I love Fripp and Eno also. And he, you know, what's funny. This guy, he fucking like haunts me. I think a little bit. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> he's haunting me right now. You can hear him over there, but he's always like somebody, that I listen to and that plays music that either is or is adjacent to stuff that I like but and it's really good it's never bad but I've just never been like yeah I'm gonna sit down and just like listen to everything that he's done and figure it out right but um especially because if I'm listening to Frippinino it really means that I want to be listening to Scritti Pilliti and like I'm going to listen to Scritti Pilliti like nine times out of ten no matter what because they're the best but like I am very just <laughs> yeah i don't know why do you bring him up oh i because we sort of like like we sort of like sped past king crimson and yeah like, they like, keep showing up yeah like I, I guess i was just wondering like if they were if they were in there at all because like because like i don't i guess there's part of me that like thinks of him in kind of a Chirac kind of way i guess like like, like i don't know C certain like the fact that the the fact that king crimson's music is so sort of like um you know, finely structured, but the guitar can be very chaotic, like the sort of clash of those two things yeah. I really like about his playing, I guess. Well, he's brilliant in Crimson, in all three Crimsons, you know? Yeah. 
Like, I love... You know, I have a fondness for 80s Crimson. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing music. <laughs> yeah. That's what I listened to with that guy in sixth grade. And I guess, like, it's funny, because when you said Fripp, my conception of him was Fripp Solo. Gotcha. And I was just like... <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> Which is totally legible on the podcast, that sassy face. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I think... You know, he's probably folk music to me in the same way that Jimmy Page is because I listened to him a lot when I was in sixth grade forward and I listened to Crimson a lot and genuinely enjoy it every time. And so, yeah, probably he's way more formative than I'm letting on, especially the sort of controlled egomania of how he plays in a band. I think maybe that may have been the ultimate demise or like why why hips broke up is just because I wanted to shred all the time. And be like that, which I, I wonder if it'd be of royal trouble for everybody else. But I think you know what I should say? His like ruthless commitment to the guitar. I think that 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 makes me feel like I I know him because like I know guitar like I know guitar men. They're like there's armies of them and they love to friend me and they're just always around. And I think a lot of them have this thing where the guitar is like this divining rod of something for them and it's beautiful. But with him, I feel like it's the way that I deal with it, where it's like. I don't know why this is so easy, but it is easy. So I have to do the most with it all the time. Okay. I think that that's how I'm going to, I think that's my frip thoughts, but now I want to listen to him all day. Totally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, okay. So also some of the came out, came up like in, in passing, but Mick Barr. Yeah. Yeah. Kralis. What can you say? <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I'm getting loopy four hours. I don't know. Um, He's just really good at music. I know, it's so I feel like such a like like a fanboy or something because you're naming these these two and I, I'm just sort of like really impressed by them. Like Fripp Solo, less so. Though I know that I'm gonna see my friend Shane who's into reggae from earlier in the conversation and he's gonna be like, Why haven't you listened to like this Fripp thing that I told you about like four months ago? It's so good. And I'll be like because I was listening to like revenge and crying about how good it is. Like I told him, Oh my God. Anyway, either way. Yes. Um, back to McBar. He's so innovative. I like when he does improvised music too. I think like he approaches virtuosity, like in my mind, opposite to Fripp because Fripp is like really old school about how good he is. And I think bar is just like, I just think he's really the best at at the instrument. And I also think that, like, he's the best at the instrument in a way that isn't, like, the portals, not pretentious, perfect composition thing. Like, he knows it. And instead of trying to subject it to a vision other than what he can do, it always ends up being the main main thing in a way that seems opposite to Fripp's, like, I'm going to make the centerpiece part of the structure of the thing. Like, McBar's you focus on what he's doing as a guitar player because it draws attention to itself because of how good it is rather than it being like in the DNA that it has to show him off. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that's like a through a really small through line in everything that I hear him doing is, and maybe I'm listening like a guitar player to how he plays, but like I could dissect a Kralis thing forever and not fully understand how he got to that point. And like, it will always be the centerpiece for me. Like it almost feels like solo guitar. (laughs) So I don't know. Hero is probably a word that I could use if I transcribed it a lot and wore a shirt, but it's more like worship. (laughs) Yeah. 
Damn, I need to listen to him again, too. I like the thing that he does. He has this trio over here, too. With, uh... With Tim Dahl? Am I wrong? Oh, oh that Bar Shea Dahl thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's crazy. That's, yeah. a, that's how an improv... Oh. oh, my God. That's important to me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> As, like, an improvising guitar person... I feel like that's actually good. Yeah, absolutely. Guitar trio is hard. He he did it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and yeah. Okay, so the the last one, which is I feel like is, he's always on my mind because uh, they're they're one of my favorites. But Trey from Morbid Angel, I guess. I mean, just what more do you need? Like that's just like really perfect, beautiful metal guitar playing. It's like. I wish that that was the metal checklist we were talking about. Just do that. I don't know even what there is to say. I've like never learned a morbid, morbid angel thing. I've just listened to them so much and they've like, they've been running music for me. Like I like to run to morbid angel and like just live there. And like that thing has gotten me like his guitar playing sometimes when I'm running and I'm like really tired and I have like asthma. So it just hurts like shit. And I don't know why I'm even doing it. Like I'll I'll listen past my pain into like Trey's playing, and it just is like it's like endurance and it's like casual and it feels like air signy and it's just like heavy and beautiful. I don't know. I feel like I'm giving these like non answers to these guitar players That's who not, deserve. No, this is great. I don't think it's an okay. answer at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to like overly critique myself on it, but it's like difficult because they're. I think the Fripp one is probably the most nuanced, but mostly it's just like I look at them and I'm like, ah, like if I had a locker, probably all of their pictures would be up in it. But instead, I have a house with no pictures in it. (laughs) So now you know. But yeah, Morbid Angel is so good. I wonder when I, I think I got into them. I think I listened to them a lot when I was in Rochester and then took a little break. Because I was trying to get into like no wave, mm, mm. <laughs> and then got back into it when I got back into running, which is weird. It's weird to associate that band with that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't think. That, I don't think so. I mean, it is very like triumphant and like you know motivating. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's weird to like use metal to that end though, because like it's not like I'm gonna run to like. I don't know. What wouldn't I run to? I run to a lot of hip hop mostly. So nice. it's weird actually that Morbid Angel like made it onto those playlists. Either way, whatever. They're great. Yeah, yeah. I, that guitar playing is like what I wish the standard of guitar playing was because imagine how innovative other guitar players would be if that's what was expected for you to be able to do it to be in a metal band. Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I yeah, but then maybe like they wouldn't he wouldn't seem as special as he does if it was well i think it'd be like a sabbath thing where it sounds so evil because of like how they're playing with time like how there's these songs that are like bifurcated between like slow and then fast six eight every time and like that instead of setting a precedent of everyone sounding exactly like that it just creates these songs with multiple forms where the guitar takes two different like shapes but if everybody sounded like trey I think music would just be better because he would be so special as the innovator. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. everybody else would be like doing just like really just amazing rhythmic work to like differentiate themselves from what was required. It'd be like bumping the level from everybody having to sound like this weird narrative of jazz having gone from like Buddy Bolden to like Lester Young to Charlie Parker to 
John Coltrane to like whatever fucking like really linear narrative of jazz people give to like, I don't know, Sabbath to like skip everything. Sabbath, Lifetime, Morbid Angel. And like just skipping like the whole universe of music just yeah. to those three and then seeing what would actually happen. Yeah, totally. But you know what? Like, I feel like that's sort of how I ended up approaching metal because I'm, I wasn't like hanging out in a basement with a bunch of fellow metalheads. Like it was also personalized that maybe that's how I conceive of like things. And that's why bands like Portal seem normal to me where I'm like, that's not that weird because it's like the thing that I had the biggest connection to. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's more related to Olatunji than it is to like most other things exactly yeah right 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 right, right. yeah that's kind of the thing about the like the the pinnacles of like i don't know yeah like yeah definitely definitely something like trey it's like yeah it exists in this like separate space of just like the greatest stuff of any genre doesn't even it's just like removed oh yeah yeah i think the first time i really like gave a serious chance to his guitar playing was like the first time i really gave myself a chance to hear um like Albert Eiler um and once you listen you can listen to it and you listen to it and you're like okay you're doing like some marching band shit or like you're doing some like metal shit and you can just listen to it in the broadest way possible but once you narrow in and it doesn't take that much narrowing in it's just like and it's such a physical thing oh, to yeah, hear to yeah. hear him be that good at guitar and to hear Eiler I don't know, channel God or some shit, like whatever the heck you could say that he's doing. Cause nobody really, how could you quantify that into a sentence? Right, it's totally right, ineffable. Right. But I mean, I think he's that good. I think Luke LeMay is that good. I keep bringing him up cause he's my guy, but like, I think that he's one of like few total standouts for me. I think Colin Marston's a musician like that too. Mm. Like super genius. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that's a that's a good place to end. It. I mean, we covered <laughs> so much ground. This has been really really cool. So thanks for thanks for talking. No problem. Yeah. Um, when are we going to talk about Elmo Hope though? Oh oh that's, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah that's right. We've got all this whole list. I mean, no, I'm just fucking with you. We yeah. don't have to do that. Like. <laughs> so much for listening huge thanks to wendy for their time and stay tuned for the next episode of the heavy metal bebop podcast coming soon